Hello and welcome for another episode of the podcast. How you been, people? It's David here, aka Redbeard, and today I'm hosting a dear friend from of mine from New York. So I'm very excited. Uh, he's a good buddy. Uh, we studied together in LIU Post. He kind of uh, brought me in into the uh, financial uh, world. He opened my eyes a little bit. Uh, also, his style game is on point, and he's all around awesome dude. So welcome, Robert Williams. How's it going, man? Going good, going good. Thanks for having me, Dave. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. It's been a while. I'm so it's a it's a great thing that I have a podcast and I use it as a as a reason to bring people that I want to talk to so I'm happy to have you here yeah definitely been a while it's been probably over a year I think the last time we hung out was uh, in the meatpacking district in Manhattan oh dude that was a great time I, I was on a rooftop bar yeah <laughs> yeah we were in little Italy we had our lunch down there and then we went to the rooftop bar yeah it wasn't Beautiful with you red. then we saw that piano dude show up like in the middle of the street I don't know if it was you but like, but I wasn't in Little Italy, and then there was a famous pianist guy just rock, bring his piano, rolls it in, and then just start performing. Yeah, that's the type of crazy stuff that you see in Manhattan. Are you in Tel Aviv? Nah, I'm a little bit off of it, uh, like 15 minutes away uh, in Lod. Okay. So I'm sure like you have a city vibe, like it used to be like that type of thing, where it would be the place where you see some interesting stuff. I mean, Tel Aviv is the equivalent of New York here in Israel. Yeah. So uh, if you hang around uh, for a while there, you'll see some uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, man. I definitely miss our adventures. Definitely, bro. Like uh, it was, it was great to 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 be around you because I felt really uh, like minded spirit. You know, like same level. You you get the hang of we're yeah. we're, we're on the same page. I think it started from LIU. You know, we were in that collegiate environment together. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't know what it was about our friendship, but we were maybe a little bit more mature mentally and we were comfortable with each other hanging out at that type of place, like somewhere in the meatpacking district of the city. Like I wouldn't just hang out with anybody from our, you know, college at a place like that. So, you know, I think with you, with the bachata and, uh, you know, you had a good style yourself. And, you know, again, we kind of uh, spiritually were on a similar level. Uh, I think we just vibed and, uh, you know, kicked it off. And I'm really happy that, you know, you found your way to Long Island in New York. That's a big move from Israel, I'm sure. Oh, hell, hell yeah, man. That was a, that was a crazy move. But uh, I'm very happy. I'm very happy that I did it. There, the Maybe my academic path didn't work out so well. But on the other hand, the people that I met there is so, is priceless. as just priceless. And you pledged in a fraternity there. Yeah, well, that's a well, that's an interesting world of itself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to to experience the the whole like American culture, so I decided the best way to do it is to kind of try. Yeah, is that that's not popular in Israel? No, there are some uh, some houses here in the sense that <clears throat> there are. Uh, branches of some fraternity. I think A Pi is here okay. because it's a, a renowned Jewish fraternity. Yeah. So they are here, but you don't feel it as much here. The student life for here versus student life in the U.S. is completely different. So yeah, so, you were very involved with like different clubs. 
I did my best, you know, I kind of, I said, if I'm there, let's make it count. But it, it was a, it was an interesting uh, experience. <laughs> so yeah. how you been, man? How's, uh, how's the whole recent uh, worldwide events have affected you? Oh man, it's uh, like everybody kind of like uh, shook everything up and uh, turned it into a different direction than it was before. So um, I actually was working at LIU before the whole uh, you know lockdown everywhere started, and um, you know LIU closed down like a lot of other colleges, and uh, you know they laid me off from that job. So I actually picked up a job uh, at an airport out here in Long Island, yeah, uh, in East Hampton actually. So if any of your listeners are familiar with uh, the Hamptons here in New York, it's like an affluent area, a summer getaway for people in Manhattan who go out there. A really nice beach town, but there's a private airport there where a bunch of helicopters, uh, seaplanes, and private jets from all over the place will come into there. And it's literally like a three-minute drive from my house. So, I, you know, my parents have had a house in the Hamptons since like 2001 or something like that. And, you know, we always drive by. And I've always loved it, you know, seeing helicopters come in mm-hmm. and like big jets and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's really cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, I never really, you know, took it, thought about working at a place like that. Like, it was just me thinking like, oh, I want to get my own helicopter or private jet in the future. Like, that's what I thought, you know. <laughs> and I also actually wanted to be a pilot at one point. Uh, before I transferred to LIU, I was going to a state school that had an aeronautical science program. And I was going to get into that. But I transferred to LIU. Uh, but that's a whole nother story. So uh, the, the job at the airport, uh, I picked it up. I was just like, you know what? I don't want to be locked up inside all summer. You know, I want to still meet people. I want to learn something new. I want to do something exciting. And, uh, you know, the airport was there. I was just driving by one day at Poland, and they were looking for employees. And uh, long story short, uh, I worked there all summer. Uh, actually, I stopped working there in about October. Um, but I learned a lot of like tremendous, like really, really cool things, like how to fuel helicopters, how to like park jets and put oil into the engines and maintain a private airport. So actually one of my goals that I'm working on right now is to get my pilot's license. You actually don't have to go to college uh, and get a four-year degree to get a pilot's license. Well, you you just, just build up your hours. Yeah, It's about 40 to 60 hours you need to, to get your pilot's license. But you get that uh, private pilot's license, then you build up ratings for specific airplanes and things of that nature. That's so, cool. Uh, you know, I still do want to get my pilot's license. I'd probably lean towards like flying seaplanes, mm-hmm. uh, just as something fun to do. It's not my primary like um, focus in terms of a career, but it's just something that I want to have. You know, just you know, to be a pilot and have my own airplane. Yeah, that'll be that'll be so awesome. By the way, does. Uh, Microsoft, like the the flight simulator, counts as ours because it's real life simulator. <laughs> no, it's very similar. It is real life. Correct. It is the dashboard and all the instrumentation are exactly the same. But no, you actually have to be in the airplane and go through the checklists on you know how to start. Even before you start up an airplane, there's like twenty five things that you have. To oh, hundred percent. And. I don't. I've never used Microsoft Simulator in the game, but um, you know, there's you have to fly in a real plane to get the hours. You can't play. No, I know. It's like, I, I heard. It's like playing NBA 2K on PlayStation. <laughs> I'm like, oh, can I go to play the championship in the NBA? Oh, that's hour? different, man. Games? That's different because, like, because from from what I heard and I read a little bit about it, there it really it's it doesn't simulate the whole prep. 
like I mean, how to you check the plane and the flaps and the gear and everything that the mechanical stuff, but internal wise, that really simulates it. And some places do count the 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 time that you spend flying because of because it simulates the real traffic control in a real life situation and a real life at the environment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe there are places that do expect that. Um, I just feel like, you know, it's like when you drive your car. Like, there's certain situations that you can get into, a certain feeling you have driving a car versus playing a video game and driving a car. You oh, can't yeah. replicate. No, 100%. You can't replicate the physics, the feeling that you go through. But you're right. They're, they're using these simulators a lot more nowadays to, you know, keep up with training and things like that for pilots that, you know, already maybe have their licenses and maybe they are utilizing that same technology in a way to help students get more hours because it is costly to rent the airplane and pay for the fuel, pay for the instructor and all those things that come along with, mm -hmm. you know, flying a real live airplane. So it would be really cool if they did, um, you know, incorporate that more so. But, um, you know, you definitely want that, that experience in the cockpit because like I said, I never had the experience of flying an airplane like i've only flown in an airplane with somebody else flying so you know just this fall i was working all summer i was just focusing on learning you know how to work the airport and the airplanes and do all that type of stuff you know and then i left uh, my job so i had more time to focus on flying and when i tell you even like when you take off and your the instructor gives you the controls mm -hmm. and like you're going like just up and you can't see the like ground or anything it's like Holy, it's, it's really crazy. You know, it's an indescribable feeling. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really <laughs> cool, but it's something you have to get used to. Yeah. You know, when I when I was uh, in high school in Israel, when you're in high school, that that's when they start recruiting you to the military, to the army. So you start the whole process about when you're in about 11th grade, if I'm not. So... Uh, 11th grade, you get your initial calling. Some people get it on a 12th grade. So what, because I had good stats, I was invited. I was chosen to do the process for Air Force to become a pilot. Just the initial, not, not even getting enlisted. So, but that was a kind of a small dream of mine to be a fighter pilot. But so what, because you, you had good grades in high school? No, 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 like no, no, no. The grades did not affect it's uh the the there was an initial screening in the sense in a way so they they do your test they get your physical you uh you fill in some papers for the doc from the doctor they ch the uh doctor checks you there and then you get like it got a and how do i say it right and to measure your intelligence like some kind of <laughs> standardized test kind of thing yeah. Uh, and then they give you a score and based on the score they start sending you uh summons to different units so as soon as you're you're checked in with the the first place every all the branches have access to your information to your stats and then they see okay this guy can be can go to this can go to that and so one, you qualify for the aviation i was i passed the the first the first the initial bar for the aviation for to be a fighter pilot so what okay. happened after that i failed the rest of the process because uh, <laughs> in retrospect i was so immature looking yeah. back i saw how how much 
if I was me right now in that body, I would probably pass that test. I'll probably get in. But being that age, that age, being 17 and just with my mindset that time, thank God they didn't pick me. I would, I wouldn't pass. I wouldn't make it through. Oh, probably. Man, I have more faith in you. You would have made it. I, but it, I like the the mental strength. I like the 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 maturity. I like the looking at the situation and and understanding that you can uh, be. Uh, like a loss isn't I remember some of the questions and I remember my mentality and I was on the extreme so if you be would you be happy if you get in the unit I would say yes all the way would you be disappointed in you if you won't get into the unit and I said no all the way so thinking about that it just like I remember how how I would say um, absolute I was in my thinking so 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 in Israel, everybody, every student, every young person has to go through the military for a certain amount of years. Yes. And once they do that military service, they can go do what they want to do. Pretty much. And some people choose to make uh, military their career. You know, uh, mm-hmm. when, not everyone gets into the military because of various reasons. Some people on physical reasons, some people on mental reasons, some people circumstantial reasons. There's yeah. a whole lot of, there's a, great deal of things that can can't get you into the military but everybody has to sign up but there's certain situations technically that yes you from getting in. on the paper everyone has to sign up but there's some there's certain uh certain groups and the uh, ethnic groups or like societal groups that gets a pass unfortunately and uh not everyone is get to do the I military I follow this Instagram model and she is from Israel and she was in the, um, like the intelligence cyber security, like division. <laughs> yeah. You, that's my friend. I have friends from Texas and whenever I showed them, uh, Israeli soldiers and they like, either are those girls like for real? Like they walk, they walk <laughs> she with was guns. an intelligence officer in the Israeli military. Now she's an Instagram model. So, She's very attractive. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I'm sure she is. But and, and there's many, there are many beautiful and uh, not just intelligence, but beautiful soldiers. And when I showed it to people from Texas who are really into guns and dudes who just like this, and they see those women with M16s and various uh, guns, and they're like, "Whoa, what? I want to be there." <laughs> yeah, how's the weather there right now? Is it nice outside? It's cold by Israeli standards. It's nice by New York standards. In Fahrenheit, what would you say the temperature is? Right now, ooh, I forgot how to measure. What is it in Celsius? In Celsius is about 10, so it's about 50. Okay, because zero would be 32 Fahrenheit. Yeah. So it's about 40, 50-ish. Yeah, that's cold. I mean, 60 degrees weather in New York, it's nice weather. Yeah, when anything anything under sixty is cold, bro. I mean, I I loved it when it was my a negative twenty and thirty, in in Fahrenheit. You love? I enjoyed it a lot, when, <laughs> dude. I walked no, out man. and love, it was a lovely weather. Is it's seventy five with a nice ocean breeze, sunny? 
you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I remember That's those days. Week. When as soon as those like as soon as September is over and you can and you get that first 75 day and you get into the range between 80 and 60, everyone's out. Every, no one's no one's inside. All the restaurants are outside, everything all the events are out. It's just yeah. a, a great party. It's the same thing in uh, Israel, I'm sure. When everything was open, it was like a year long because uh, we don't get much rain. Sometimes, like in the past year, last year, we got a lot of rain. This year, is we it got... hotter? Yeah. Is it hotter in northern Israel or southern Israel? Same. <laughs> oh, northern Israel gets hotter, but the most hot, the hottest area, it's around the Dead Sea. It gets. That's to... It that's got, the coast. That's your coast, right? It's like the border with Jordan. Okay. So it gets it got if I'm not mistaken, 48 Celsius. What city is over there? What's like the big city? By, by next to the Dead Sea, the closest big city is Jerusalem. Really? Do you yeah. go there? Is that like a place you visit often? As much as I can. When I have yeah. the opportunity, I love I love that city. Dude, there's something. For me, this city is like in my top three. Of Jerusalem those. is your top three favorite cities? Jerusalem is my number one. Number one city that I would love to live in. In the whole world? Yes. 100%. Why? Hands down. I don't know. I can explain when I drive into the city and you just go down and there's like the hills that you go have to go over and then the view opens up and you see it it's just something some there's something magical about it there's something beautiful about it and then when you walk it when you just walk around the city and you can walk from the market all the way to the old city where the whole the historic the most the historical parts and the holy sites and everything but just like the atmosphere around the city, the the I, I cannot really explain it. You have to the feel history. it. The the sense of there's there's something there's something different in the city when you walk around it. When you just hang out, it's beautiful. Some people don't like it because of the population. Some people don't like it because it's just when you're young, there's not much to do there because living the mix of uh, religious people versus secular people is not towards the secular people is not in favor so there's a lot of restrictions not a lot just like restrictions that not making make it fun to live but i don't think so i think it's a beautiful city i think it's a great place to live beautiful views just amazing so does it have does it feel like a city that's like two thousand years old yeah it feels like a great crossover you have the technological part, but you have the uh, the historical part. It's yeah. just all around. It's a great experience. You walk and there's amazing food everywhere. Yeah, you can take a photo in every almost every quarter. Is the food very different in Jerusalem versus your city, or is it pretty much the same thing across Israel? Uh so the one of the best things in our, in Israel there there's so many ethnic groups mixed in together so you get all kinds of foods all over the place so in jerusalem there's there is also a mix but i cannot really tell you what kind of dominant style is there because you can get everything from asian to uh american to 
you have Ethiopian, anything, you have everything there. And it goes through all throughout the country. You have a mix of everything. You have Russian cooking Arab food and Arab cooking uh, Italian food and everything. You have everything from everything. And it's amazing because the beauty of it is that every, you still uh, maintain some of the characteristics of each ethnic group, but you mix it and create something new. So everyone maintains their, their roots. You can see the feel the roots, but they still have something new around them. That's interesting. A lot of times people probably think Israel is not that diverse. Oh, dude, it's diverse. It's <laughs> very diverse. I would say it's very similar to America in a way. Because at the first, at first, because America is a country of immigrants and you got immigrants from all over. You got immigrants from Europe, you got immigrants from China, you got immigrants from Japan, from Africa, Middle East, everywhere. There's one thing that I, I'm a little bit critical about when it comes to America is if everyone wants to be Americanized. <laughs> Like when you see, I saw it really well in college. When you see people from different backgrounds, you see Irish, Italian, French, all sorts of people, Russian, any, any everywhere, and they, the 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 desire to assimilate is so strong that they erase their roots. They're like, no, I yeah. have, I don't want to be, I don't want to take any part of that. I want to be in this. I group. think that American culture is just so influential around the world. Yeah. And um, you but know, what people is, are just like, what is know, the American culture? Whatever is most popular. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. What and, is um, the American culture, though? I'll ask you because that's something I couldn't get a hang of it around it. Can you repeat that? What is for you the American culture? Mm, I think it has. It's a. It's a hard question because it's a lot. Mm. You know, you can't just put it say it's one thing. How um, do I you feel? Pop it? culture is American culture, like music. That's okay. very influential, and that you know that that sound crosses you know language and cultures. You know that just hearing music itself, um, movies. I think you know is you know what is American culture? Let's that's, let's uh, let's bring it down to to like the social level, in the sense in the sense <laughs> that. For example, I would say let's let's and the example of a Russian culture. Russian culture, people get together. There is a we sit, we drink, we have a good time. There is a family aspect. There is a there is a social. There is a family structure. There is a culture there, you know. But that do they have an American culture as well? How so? Like like what are the like the American American uh, holidays? What is really American that is not you cannot see I mean, around the know, world. You have like typical American holidays like, you know, uh, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day. Um, but holidays like because America is so diverse, kind of what you were alluding to with Israel, there's so many different cultures that, mm -hmm. you know, there are different holidays for different groups of people. Like, you know, there's a large Orthodox community here in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, and they're, I'm sure they're in Israel as well, but those people are Americans. I don't know how long they've been here. I'm sure some of them have been here, you know, 50 years or more. You see the little kids that are, mm -hmm. you know, brought up in that community, and those kids are Americans. So 
you know, there's a bunch of different groups of Americans that have different cultures and do different types of things. You have the Latin American. Yeah. People coming up from Central and South America. You have the Caribbean Americans, like my mother. She's from Jamaica, um, you know, and her family have roots in Jamaica still. And But part of the family is in Texas, parts in Florida, all over the place. So I think that the American culture in, it, in its root is uh, diversity. Um, you know, if you go back to, yeah. you know, the foundings of this country, there are many different countries that had, um, you know, substantial influence in the development of different parts of the country, like Louisiana, the French were there. Mostly French and mostly French and English. That's why our, British. our language is English because yeah. the British had a very big influence on us. So, um, you know, I think that America, depending on the region that you're in, also has, um, you know, different meaning behind what's being American. But I think that the, at the core of being American is that uh, choice of freedom mm-hmm. and the choice to do what you feel is right for you and your family. Um, and, you know, obviously still trying to support the community as a whole, but really, you know, focusing on the self and how you can really, you know, take yourself and your family to the next level. Like in China, you know, historically speaking, it was more, you know, about the community and things like that. Now they're going more towards, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors and, you know, um, that type of thing. But, uh, you know, I think each country has different core beliefs and it's so because of globalization and like the industrial revolution of the, you know, 1900s and 1800s, it kind of like brought everything together and it like blurred the lines a little bit. So, you know, like you said, in Israel, like the culture is so diverse and, you know, it's still a fairly young country compared to other countries and that influences it. And I've been to Sweden and I, you know, go to, they have a lot lot of coffee shops in Sweden. The coffee culture is very strong there. And they have a lot of um, Americana type of coffee shops. And yeah. I thought that was very interesting that uh, America, you know, was so influential in the Swedish culture in that way. I've been to South Korea and, um, you know, K-pop is very popular. And that's so big because of pop from America. Um, you know, so they took it to another level, though. They took it to another level. Like, and it's subtle, you know, you wouldn't, it's not like blatant, like, oh, America is influencing us like so much, but even with Samsung's uh, Galaxy phones, iPhone was the original, you know, kind of touchscreen device like that. Now all the tech technology companies are kind of following that design ethos. Yeah. Um, so America, you know, I think that is very progressive in terms of, um, you know, entertainment and things like that. And these are things that, um, you know, are ingrained into our culture from a very long time, like the whole uh, Hollywood culture, like that's very American. Um, you know, finance, Wall Street, that's American. You know, these are American things. And, you know, finance hubs like, um, you know, London, again, that's like our main competitor. But again, that British connection to America, you know, that stems from that. But you have another, other hubs now like Shanghai, um, you know, other places in Europe that are, you know, really piggybacking off of the financial success of the, you know, Wall Street and New York and uh, financial markets in London. And I think that these, that's kind of like American, uh, an American thing, you know, those financial markets. So there's a lot of different things that represent America. You can't just pin it on one thing. No, I know. I think the most, in my opinion, the most, the, the, the thing that uh, shines through the most is the American dream. Uh, which 
that's that's the the thing that exists only in America to be able but it's undefined though that's an interesting what thing that, what is happening I've always like that's really confusing to me like okay the American dream I understand that but why should that only exist in America I know that America has a lot more resources than maybe other countries but somebody from another country looking at America and that American dream how do you think that you know you weren't you don't think you're able to achieve that in a country you know as easily like Israel or another country in the world you put it very well uh, a couple minutes ago when you said uh, America is a very individually driven country individualistic like you take your play your hand as much as you can and make the most out of it you dealt with something make something else out of it whatever you want there's no boundaries except the societal boundaries so in america the it's also known around the world as the land of opportunity why so many people oh, has the has the need the desire to move there is just like it says in Tantum, land of the free and home of the brave. I didn't butcher that, right? No, you didn't. So, <laughs> so the, that that selling point is very appealing to people where you can come, this this famous story, that uh, famous narrative, where you can show up with $100 in your pocket and become a millionaire within few years you know how people how people come and they i hustled and i lived in a cab and then i bought the small house and then i flipped it and then i made a little bit more money and then i flipped it and then i i became this and then i studied but these that. Are stories you really like only hear from like america i mean i'm not like trying to brag or anything but it's funny that you say that like, i know because it's a country other places like that this is a country that that focus on the individual what you can make it's also like look in the slogan who said that uh kennedy look see what you can make uh i forgot the sentence how it goes don't ask what you can do what you what the country can do for you ask what you can do for the country yeah yeah so yeah so thank god i remembered <laughs> so but it's a it's a country that focuses on the sole individual success I mean, the group thing is nice, and that's now it's being talked about more and more with the uh, with the appearance of of socialism. Socialis not socialism, but globalization, where people see other things, where people are op more open to other ideas. They see, oh, we can work in groups. Oh shit, that's interesting concept. But it used to be, look look about right, what happening right now facebook mark zuckerberg apple steve jobs amazon jeff bezos those are single individuals who raised rise to the top so people want a piece of that cake and america yeah. sells that piece of the cake they say okay you can come you can be part of society you can do whatever you want kind of because if you look at it, like historically speaking, over hundreds of years, the only way you could reach that level is if like you were born into like a wealthy family or like you're part of that family, the king or the queen. Like, you know, you wouldn't be able to become a multimillionaire, billionaire, you know, that type of thing. And then now, since the Industrial Revolution, like you have the Vanderbilts, the Rockefellers, those types of people that were able to amass huge fortunes. The, the Rothschilds. And now you have like the Googles and these types of things. And, you know, what other, I mean... What other country gave people that type of opportunity? 
I mean, if you look at it, if you really look at it, every country provides certain level of opportunity. It's it just, does. it's a different level of playground. Like, cause you look at Spain, you look at France, you look at Germany, you look at Sweden, you look at all these countries. They have, first they have a different mentality. And when it comes to work, Spain has a different mentality when it comes to work and that backfired on them all the way back in the 2000s because their workforce is small and not many job opportunities and the work from what I read, and that's just saying from what I read and what I, I online and research a little bit, when you have a, a, a an environment, when you go to work late and then you have a big break in the middle and then you don't have a lot of work later, that's not very productive. That's a recipe for a disaster. Germany is very efficient, but they have a different, uh, different perspective on work. So you have, uh, you have to have also time for family and that's goes across some Europe, not all of it, but some of Europe has the standards of, okay, there would need to be a work-life balance, but when you work, you work and the rest of the time you're with your family. And America is like, as much as you can, do whatever you need to make yourself successful. You want a family? Great. You want to make have a company? Great. You want to make billions? That's the price you have to pay. That's the path you have to go through. And every country has a different, is a different playground. You can be a billionaire in Germany, but it's, the scale is different. Same as Israel. You can make it through Israeli, these, you can be successful in Israel, but let's compare the size of Israel and America. That's the reason why I'm doing a podcast half of English and half in Hebrew. Hopefully later to transform, like to transition 100% to English. It's so it will be scalable. So I could, I could give it, I could let other people around the world hear it because Israel has a cap on how many people would listen. So the sky, and that's something it's weird, but, but go with me. When I look at the sky here, it seems lower. When I look at the sky in the U S it seems higher. So the limit is way different of how high you can go. And that's what really people are interested, but I'm saying, yeah. but let's bring it kind of back together is the, what this, the, the culture of America comes down to being an outstanding individual. Yeah. One I of its pillars. Repeat that. That one of its pillars of the American culture is becoming an outstanding individual in the sense that make the most of what you can. It's the land of opportunities. Correct. Correct. I mean, my dad, let me just give you a brief history of my family. I mean, my dad's side of the family is from South Carolina. Um, and they actually have a large piece of land down there, about 200 acres. But mm -hmm. his uh, father came up to New York maybe in 1950, around that time. Uh, he was in the military, but um, he opened up his own barbershop, uh, bought real estate, you know, sent both of his sons to college. My dad eventually became a dentist. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom was from Jamaica. Uh, her mother had about eight kids, you know, back in that time. You know, large families were a lot more common. Uh, yeah. One became a pilot. Uh, my mother became a nurse, came up to New York, became very successful. Now she teaches at Columbia, NYU, uh, and a few different places. So, um, you know, 
the United States uh, definitely is a place where people who have been here and come from other places recognize that opportunity that, you know, is there uh, partly because of the size, like you alluded to, the United States is such a big place. Um, you know, there is so much opportunity in different places that people yeah. can, you know, go to. But, um, you know, like you said, it's really up to the individual to really tap into that opportunity that's there because it is there. Um, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of people going for that competition. And you're a perfect example. I mean, you came from Israel or in college, started up your own business, a uh, dance company, Bachata Rosa. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you were first starting that thing and it became very successful. Even when you went back to Israel, you know, I, I unfortunately didn't go while you were here mm-hmm. uh, organizing the events, but I went one time after and your business partner, uh, there was, he was there and there must've been about you know 50 people, maybe more there. And um, the way that they had it organized and uh, the way that the people who were organizing the event were so enthusiastic and engaged with the people that were there, I was very inspiring and a really cool thing to see. So, um, you know, I just want to say I applaud you on that. But um, those are the types of things that are possible no matter where you come from uh, in the United States. Just because maybe one of the things is the language. I mean, if I went to Israel or some other country where I didn't know the language, it would be a little bit more difficult for me to really tap into that local ecosystem and as many people as I wanted to. Like in Israel... Uh, like you said, um, a lot of the people, 50%, don't speak English. No, they speak, but it's just harder to... to. Or they're not as confident in speaking it, yeah. you know, all the time. So maybe they're not going to speak it comfortably with me. Yeah. You know? So, or if I went to Shanghai, you know, not very few English speakers there as a, in comparison to Hong Kong or Seoul in South Korea or Stockholm in Sweden. Yeah. So if I have a business, if I you know happen to go and live in Shanghai, it'd be a lot more difficult for me to do business there. So comparing that to the United States, where you know, like you said, most people speak English. So you come to the United States and you're coming here to live, like you have a certain level of confidence in yourself to converse in that language. Yeah. It's going to be a lot easier for you to, you know, be able to reach a large audience. Let's just put it that way. It might not be easy to be successful in business. But at least, you know, you speak that language that everybody here speaks for the most part. You already have common, something in common with the everyone. Correct. There's that culture. And then America, because America's culture has been going all over the world for so many years, you're already familiar with like kind of that uh, American culture as opposed to me going to another place around the world and not really being familiar with like the music or that culture mm-hmm. unless I've done research. Yeah, it's just because it's the biggest one of the biggest countries in the world and it has like a permeating influence so that's why like, I, I don't even i'm not like i'm embarrassed to say this but like i'm not really familiar with like a popular israeli uh, actress let's just say that you do who's the most famous israeli actress of course you do you don't even you you know it and you just it doesn't pop into your head <laughs> wonder woman wonder woman Gal Gadot. What's her name? Gal Gadot. Okay. She's playing Wonder Woman. Of course you know her. Uh-huh. You saw her on the screen. Oh, let There's, me see. If you, if How you, do you spell it? G-A-L-G-A-D. Of course, of course you, you, you saw her. She's the most famous. Wait, what's her name? Gal 
G A L. Okay. And then right. G A D O T. Gal Gadot. Yeah. Oh, that's her. She's from Israel. Yeah. I, I like her. <laughs> <laughs> she is charming. Okay, she's popular. Yeah. She is she's very popular. Like she went through she went she made it through the barrier and she she's she she crossed over to American culture. She actually um reminds me of that young lady I was telling you about the Instagram model who's in Israeli intelligence. She looks very similar to her. So yeah. I guess a lot of the uh, Israeli women are that beautiful. I mean, you're well, you're always welcome to come and look for see for yourself. <laughs> That's one of I'm the beauty. Israel, man. That's the beauty of am. diversity, man. That's the beauty of diversity. You get all kinds of beautiful people. Like you, you take someone beautiful from Spain. You take someone beautiful from Russia. Boom! Mm -hmm. You get something. You new. remember? You remember Asma from uh, Tunisia? Yeah, I'm still. We're, uh, we're still in contact. Okay, she's a very beautiful person too. Not just physically, but her spirit. She, definitely. Shout out to Asma. <laughs> and Tunisia is that type of place where it's like it just even if you've never been there if you just think about where it is on the map it just seems so beautiful it's that northernmost part of, of Africa right yeah, well, on the Mediterranean it's a it's an area that was very also heavily influenced by Europe all these uh -huh. coast uh, coast countries were a colonies of Europe superpowers at the time like it's right it's right across from uh, Italy Italy, but Algeria was under the influence of France, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know what Tunisia, if Tunisia was a part of anything, but does the whole Europe is was so cocky. If you, look, you go through history, they just decided, okay, we're gonna split a continent between us without asking the people who live there. Talk about talk about white privilege it's crazy that they are able to accomplish that i know but that shows the level of progress also they were that created a lot weapons. of you know they had the, the gun oh yeah also they created like they created the in 894 the ronda massacre if i, I don't know about that Wait, what? you said Rwanda? Rwanda? Yeah, I think didn't. What was that like? Nineteen ninety-four? You said? I think so. Yeah, 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 I know. But I mean, they've done so many massacres, bro. Like, like what happened? What I find interesting was that they were able to, from like you know, let's just say fourteen ninety-two. They always say Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Okay. You heard that before? Uh, it's very familiar. So that's something like they used to say back in like elementary school or something. But let's just say from 1400 till today, like, you mm -hmm. know, the advancement of Europe from like, you know, the dark ages and whatever was going, going on during the crusades and stuff like that. Like how they were able to go from that to basically like controlling the world. Yeah. That was crazy. What, what's also interesting is pre-Europe, like what, who were the African you know, rulers that were influential in their own respective geographies and like, what what was that world like before Europe went over and colonized all the different countries? It depends what you read. Uh, I guess they're like, if you will read 
uh, history from African stand uh, point of view, we'll we'll learn something else. But we don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It depends on who you ask. But I just like to take a step back and just look at it for what it is. Like the, the let's just say like look at the, the buildings that they left behind. Like the technical the technical knowledge that they had of like outer space and like you know stone masonry work. The stuff yeah. that they were able to accomplish is like really mind blowing. And it's like these people were like they had a different type of knowledge in us. There is a there. I think. There is a lot of knowledge that we don't know that existed in ancient uh, in ancient civilization. Yeah, because I re- I heard a podcast uh, by with Joe Rogan and Graham Hancock, who is an explorer, uh, who is an explorer, and he and he said that the Amazon is the biggest garden in the world. It was intentional the 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 plants that that grow there are intentional they use a purpose they serve a purpose they, they didn't grow out of thin air like people planted them specifically and yeah, there was freaking huge bro yeah i know and i'm dying to visit as soon as things will chill a little bit and yeah, they, i've been to brazil i i have like really good friends that are basically like family in brazil so if you wanted to like go there, we can like link up with them in like Rio or Sao Paulo. We stay there for like a week and then we shoot out to the Amazon. Oh, dude, there's so much I would like to to discover in <laughs> Brazil. But he said he said that there was uh, a 20 million people civilization. I hope I'm I'm getting this right. A huge civilization that was uh, similar to the ancient Egyptians. They also have pyramids. They also had advancement in technology they had a lot of interesting stuff going on medicine wasn't a good part of it because it uh, they assume the spanish killed them because they brought their diseases and they didn't have anything to fight fight it off yeah so there are a lot of ancient knowledge that we that was lost is lost because we didn't preserve it but yeah. but also it depends like you said and we don't know the African history of how things went down there. How do you think those civilizations came into being of that knowledge? Oh, that's a deep question. <laughs> Some people say it's uh, because of drugs. Um, yeah, I've heard that before. The psychedelics, more specifically. They connect psychedelics to your DNA. They call it the cosmic serpent. Hmm. And basically when they, I, I, I have this book, it's called The Cosmic Serpent. And basically uh, what it says is that the shamans were able to use these psychedelics and, you know, these plants and it gave them uh, access to the DNA in their own body. Interesting. And they're able to gain that knowledge through the DNA. Huh. I mean, Imagine that though, like, let's just like say hypothetically that was possible. Yeah. Dude, that's why people there's a whole like there's a whole theory that psychedelics are the cornerstone for human progress because so, because it opens kind of opens you to another realm of of reality that you cannot tap on a regular level but look at this you know i'm sure you haven't seen your science class like visible light in that electromagnetic spectrum yeah and visible light is only like 0.01 percent of the entire electromagnetic spectrum 
So it's like oxygen. Like, you know, we have to breathe to survive. Like, if yeah. there's no oxygen around us, we'd all be dead. So, but you can't see it, you know? So there's like so many things that you can't see that are like right in front, literally like going through you, going through us as we speak. There's like yeah. cosmic rays passing through us. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. That's like, but that's, that's being, that's require a lot of exploration and being open-minded because yeah. our society doesn't see that kind of exploration in a very good eye. It's different. I wish I was like versed in how to explore those types of concepts. I mean, you just go about it. There is society. Is <laughs> I, seriously. Come on, man. Uh, what? Seriously. You just start, start reading and start reaching out to people. And, uh, right. I know that United States, six states are now decriminalized. Uh, uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms and psychedelics. Oregon is one of them. There's actually huge research going on uh, in terms of public companies mm -hmm. and the medical industry into the psychedelics and how they could be beneficial for like uh, depression, PTSD. 100%. So if any of your listeners are into like stocks and you know stuff like that, they can also invest in those companies that are doing research into those types of things. Yeah, uh, there was... Uh, there was a big research in the United States around the 60s. I forgot the name of the lead researcher who was uh, researching with not just just psilocybin, just mushrooms and uh, LSD. And he made some great breakthroughs until the government just put the foot down and said, I'm, we we're shutting you. We're shutting you down. What is the difference between, is LSD just a synthetic version of mushrooms? I, honestly, I don't know. I don't have enough knowledge about it to, to say. And then you have something called acid, too. Acid? I think acid is LSD. No? Yeah, I think so, but I'm not sure either. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not proficient in that in that area to, to give <laughs> uh, answers. But, man, yeah. one, of your, one of your biggest focuses is one of your strength in your pursuits is the stock market. How did yeah, that, definitely, definitely. How did that come to be? Um, from a young age, I was in this organization called Jack and Jill. And uh, basically, uh, parents would bring their kids together to kind of, um, you know, network and try to be in that environment of, like, successful people. Let's just mm -hmm. put it that way. And one of the families, uh, the parents were, like, uh, bankers or something like that. And um, I live on Long Island, which is about uh, 30 or 40 minutes east of Manhattan. So a lot of the people who live there uh, work in the city, whether it's uh, healthcare, lawyers, or finance. But this particular family was in finance, and their house was on uh, the North Shore of Long Island. And if you've seen the movie Great Gatsby or read the book, yeah. uh, that's called the Gold Coast. Yeah. So a lot of very wealthy people live over there, huge properties. Uh, and they had a really nice house, not the biggest one, but it was in like the nicest area. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this guy's freaking loaded, like, you know, he has this great house. So he was like, he, he inspired me from a young age to say, I wanted to be an investment banker. So that's what he did. Um, so fast forward to, you know, I'm, let's just say 2013, I was working at Apple at the time and I was always been involved in finance uh, from that young age up until college. Um, you know, I was in the uh, FBLA club, Future Business Leaders of America. We had a stock market group in there. Uh, when I went to Syracuse my freshman year, I was involved with the finance group there. And then um, I became a stockbroker in 2013. Hmm. So then I was like professional registered representative and I'm selling financial products to people. Um, 
And then I went back to college. So I stopped doing that. And then I started up the finance club at my college and I became an active investor doing that for my own portfolio. So mm. before that, I was more so focused on trying to get clients and um, you know manage their portfolios. And that type of strategy is completely different than you trying to manage your own portfolio. One of the reasons why is because uh, the assets under management, the people that you're looking to take on as clients, generally speaking, would have a quarter million dollars of liquid net worth, $250,000 to play with in the markets uh, versus somebody like you and me, who's going to have a smaller portfolio, let's just say under $25,000. Yeah. So um, I'm doing that Bloomberg terminal trading floor, the whole setup. You've been to LIU, trading floor is a really nice place. Um, oh yeah. It's one of the nicest places. the only people that was in there on a consistent basis, but it kind of gave me like uh, the bragging right of having my own personal trading floor. So <laughs> I thought that was a really cool thing, but uh, you know, fast forward to 2020, uh, when the lockdown kind of started, um, you know, I had a lot more free time on my hands and um, I kind of repositioned my portfolio. I wasn't really actively managing it at that time because I was working and I wasn't really focusing on it like that. And 2020 actually was one of my best years in terms of uh, returns for my portfolio, not just because of stocks and uh, the U.S. stock market, but also because of cryptocurrencies uh, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, um, uh, XLM. So there's a whole nother ecosystem outside of traditional finance, which is cryptocurrencies. And uh, that's a whole nother can of worms oh, that, yeah. you know, we could dive down the rabbit hole with. But um, Did you long hear this? story short, uh, Bitcoin has been the, the fastest and best performing asset class for the past 10 years. And out of those 10 years, maybe seven or eight years out of those 10, it was the best performing asset class. Mm -hmm including 2020. Yeah. So well, it just, it just rose, rose to 40,000. Right as we speak, it's probably about $32,000. Yeah. Um, it had a high of about $41,000 maybe two weeks ago. So yeah. it's extremely volatile. Um, but, you know, even if you don't know about the technology, you have to think, why is this thing being valued at $41,000 by major institutions around the world? Why are people investing so much money into it? Um, what is the reason behind that? So, you know, the way that I look at it, it's kind of like the internet back in 1998. Yeah. You know, it was this new technology. People didn't really know what it was. The infrastructure wasn't there to fully utilize it. I mean, if you think about, you know, high-speed internet only coming out maybe around 2005, before that, you had like dial-up. Um, the iPhone came out in 2007. Dial-up was... Was the it? technology just wasn't there to really use no. the internet like we're using it today. Yeah. So now you have something like uh, cryptocurrencies coming out that just came out in 2010, and now it's 2021. You know, that process of, you know, building that foundation of the technology, you know, the first mover people really laying that groundwork of how to use it, what's going to be, you know, what is it going to be good to use for? They're trying to shake out a lot of things right now. Yeah. So I think they're now, figuring it out as they go. The major institutions, you know, one of the big themes of 2020 were the big, the big whales, quote unquote, entering the space. You know, before that, it was more like retail driven. People like you or me, mm -hmm. maybe you know, some smaller guys in the space, really, you know, doing it. But now you have big people coming in, you know, buying 500 million dollars worth of Bitcoin, and it's painting a different narrative completely. So again, it's a very volatile ecosystem and, um, you know, you want to time your entry 
if you want to enter the space, you want to try to get in at a discount. That's like trying to buy a Louis Vuitton purse. You know it's valuable. You know it's a Louis Vuitton. And, but the, you know that the price fluctuates. So do you want to pay, buy it at the highest price you could possibly buy it at? Or do you want to buy it at a 10 or 20% discount? Mm-hmm. You know? So if you don't want to miss the boat, you can buy it at whatever price. You know? And you don't have to just buy Bitcoin. There's you know, a lot of other cryptocurrencies that are you know, trying to solve similar types of problems. There's the Facebook, there's the Facebook cryptocurrency. Think about the internet in 2000, we had like AOL and Netscape that were popular and now they're nowhere to be found. I know. Yeah. I'm just saying like Facebook tried to get in the game. Everyone kind of trying to get their foot in the game. I'm sure there is another. Libra. That's in Facebook's crypto. But they kind of, I think they deserted the idea. They kind of. They stepped back on the Libra and they renamed it to something different. They're trying to regroup a little bit, I guess. I think it's a it's a it's a nice thing to see from the outside how something because at the end of the day our whole relationship with money is how much meaning we give to it. Mm-hmm. Because if you take it back the, like if you look at it naked without everything it's worthless. Yeah. We as a group we give it a meaning. Before that there was a, a skill-based trait. Like I'll have strawberries, you get oranges. I'm good with leathers, you're good with iron. Let's let's cooperate. Let's do something. But now we have that middleman that kind of took over everything. And whoever knows how to talk to that middleman got it. Made it. So it's funny, it's funny you say middleman because literally that's what Bitcoin is all about. Taking that middleman out of the equation. So in the finance, let's just say in the crypto sense of the word, the middleman would be the banks yeah. and the, the central bank and those guys printing money and devaluing the money that we have. So before 2020, you know, 2020, they printed trillions of dollars. So your hundred dollars that you had in 2019 is less valuable today in 2021 than oh, yeah. it was in 2019. I know. However much less valuable it is, I don't know what it is. Yeah. You know? So now you have cryptocurrencies that are coming out like Bitcoin that, you know, based off of their code, you know, say there's only going to be 18 million Bitcoin ever produced. And because of that, it has that hard cap. And that's right. That, that scarcity, along with the demand, is driving the value for that Bitcoin. So, yeah. you know, there are other cryptocurrencies out there that are trying to solve the issue of being like an actual payment for us to use because right now they're treating Bitcoin like digital gold. Like we don't spend gold on normal transactions. We use gold to preserve our wealth. Yeah. By the way, what do you think about those two cases? The one that the first person who ever used Bitcoin for a transaction and paid what, 20,000 Bitcoin for a pizza? Yeah. How does how does he feel I, right yeah, now? I mean... I recently read an article of a guy who paid like 30,000 Bitcoins for like to develop some like mediocre website or something like that. Like he has the receipts for it. So it was one Bitcoin for a pizza. What's worse, one Bitcoin for a pizza or 1,500 Bitcoins for a mediocre website? Dude, <laughs> also the guy who lost the password for his, uh, for his safe. Yeah, and that's sits, a huge thing. And that's sits. very important, you know. I'm kind of, I'm not going through that situation, but I'm going through the situation of having to keep my, you know, they call them keys. You have the keys to your wallet yeah. and it's a backup phrase in case you like forget your password or something happens and you need to keep that, you know, because you could potentially have a lot of money 
in these, uh, they call them wallets, Vaults. you know? Wallet, so, wallet or vault? Don't lose your keys. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Uh, another thing, like, are you in cryptos? Do you own any? No, dude, I'm I'm far from the game. I'm not. I'm just looking around and the fluctuation. I remember when it hit the peak in 2017 of 21, and then it dropped to 9,000. And there was the talk of like, oh, Bitcoin lost its edge. And that's uh, went out of the game for a little bit. And now for some reason, it gained back popularity. Like you said, two weeks ago, 41,000. What are like... What are, do you hear any talk of it in Israel? I'm not in those circles that talk about it. I'm sure there are people who who go through every article, uh, but I don't hear a lot of chatter, like at least in the mainstream media around. Israel is very cutting edge in terms of startup, the startup culture. Yeah, Israel Israel's biggest uh, asset it's their brain. The biggest asset in this country, I don't know how it happened. I was just going to ask you that. How did Israel become so smart? It always, there's like a stigma on uh, on the Jews. The Jews always make it ha make it work. <laughs> because when you say stigma, I think that's a bad thing. For somebody, can you always make it work? That's not a bad thing. I know, but look at it historically. People didn't like it because, yeah, let's say the most, the best, the best uh, example was Europe. Jews didn't have rights in Europe. They were low class. They didn't allow, they weren't allowed to have properties. They weren't allowed to, to work as doctors, lawyers, bankers. They weren't. Uh, around, I, I don't remember much of my history classes, but around the eight, 19th century, some countries started to give them like emancipation. Like they're allowed to they gave them more rights and that's and if there's something that jews know how to do is to create because they sustain themselves the the communities know how to sustain themselves if you look about it uh if you take there always there's always something good happening because like you have the mount sinai hospital which is a jewish hospital jewish schools are considered pretty top class and that's because this group of people, from my observation, at least, knows how to take care of itself. They know how to pick their people, how to push them forward. So there's always study, there's always art, there's always community. There's all those things around and they always strive for the highest level. So pre-World War One, um, also like Jews were in high positions. In Europe. I was going to say that. I thought there was a lot of like really wealthy Jewish people. No, no, no. After the emancipation, Jews were allowed to to get out of those low class. Uh, when was the emancipation? What year? Uh, I don't know. Honestly. Was it like 17 something or 18 something? I think some countries 18, some countries 19. I think. Okay. It, it, it was, was before great. World War One, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was before World War One. So Jews were emancipated throughout Europe. Um, I think from the starting the 18th century, like there's a whole thing, uh, the, the whole story of the diaspora and how Jews made it to Europe and all those places. But the thing is, before the world wars, Jews were able to secure themselves position because they were highly regarded in those positions. It's not like they, 
I'm sure how in every society you have connections and you find a way through, but they made it because they were smart. If you look at the Nobel Prize pie of Jews versus the rest of the world, there is a significant percentage of Jewish Nobel Prize winners. And not because they're good, I don't know, presenters. It's just because hardworking people with, uh, with uh, a good nugget, you know? And so in this country, when you put them together and you're like, okay, that's a funny, funny joke because Moses went 40 years in the desert just to bring us to the only place with no oil. So this country has no resources. There's no oil. There's no something you can sell. Now we found gas in the sea, but how do you make something happen out of nothing? You have to work. You have to work hard with your brain. All right. How do we make it happen? So that's how everything came to be like, okay, what in, it, in the, this day and age, when you can sell technology, it's incredible what you can do because Israel is in the LIDAR, uh, LIDAR industry and uh, autonom autonomous cars in the cybersecurity where Pegasus, Pegasus is one of the NSO is Pegasus and NSO are one of the top like countries, top companies that people go to. I mean, when you don't have much around you, you have to make make it happen. And that's what I think the case of Israel. Well, you know, from an outsider here in the U.S. looking at Israel, I could, you know, say I don't know a lot, but I see that there is like a very big, like a kind of Silicon Valley thing going on over there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of startups, a lot. A lot of startups are popping up and, and a lot of startups who are making it around the world because that's how people like that's what people see and that's where they go they see okay i see that this country has a good knack for in technology good knack for finding solutions let's invest here let's so do you do you envision yourself opening up a business there in israel well yeah i intend to i intend to open a business uh actually to open uh kind of I have my my vision is my my passion in life is connection connecting people. I'll change my name to Nokia and steal their slogan. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I want to bring people together and I found that the best way to do that is through dance, through food, through comedy and creative endeavor. So kind of cultivate those things and help people and bring people together so dance obviously is to open a dance school to open the dance academy the way i did it in new york but do something along those lines creative spaces to provide creative space for people if they want to do a presentations or do art galleries or produce videos or a podcast or something to have an outlet where they can do those things and then cultivate it and then bring it up uh, comedy, just make people laugh, like, you know, bring people together and do that. And food, just find good people who can make f good food or people cook for each other, something along those lines. And the, the bottom line is people coming together and not staying in their houses, like yeah. they were spending quality so time with each other. 
opening up like you get you buy a building and you have like this whole space where something like that it. yeah 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 that's kind of I, you know i envision something very similar but i i envision it on a global scale like imagine having we had a brand let's just say hypothetically we built a business together yeah we had an outpost in israel we have one in new york city dude you already, already thought about it but i you know what i'm flying far i can fly very hot far for that i just want to know that i can i got the recipe down and then I can spread it around the world, you know, and I have something good in my hands and I, I see it, i see it working. I want to create a good system. I don't want as a business owner, as a, as a businessman, at least what I see is my goal as a creator also is not to be always hands-on in a business is to create a good system, a good environment of that allows people to thrive, allow, allow that makes money too, that, that it's a good but also doesn't profit too much, you know, doesn't squeeze people for the bank, for their, for their earnings. As a affordable, profitable, it's a challenge because those two words do not usually work, doesn't usually go hand to hand. But affordable. It seemed like Bachata Rosa was both of those. Bachata Rosa was a great example. It was a great, it was a great test of me. And like I said, when I went, you weren't there, but you had people there who were, you know, invested in it. You could tell that, you know, not only were they really good dancers, but they had something else invested in the business being successful. Yeah. So and it's, it's, like being there. it's it's part of it. When you create a good community, a place when you when people feel welcome, when people feel safe, when people feel that they can chill and relax and just let go. Oh, you know what I love? Mm -hmm. You know what I love there? I love the Zook. Zook <laughs> yeah, Zook was great. Duke is is uh, is on the rise, and I think it's a very beautiful uh, dance dance genre. It has a lot of things that it. I think the entry level to it, the the to get into Zook, it's from zero. It's I, some some of my friends might might disagree with me, but I think it's a very it's difficult. In the real, in turn, like, uh, in comparison to other, other cool. dance styles. What's the difficult aspect? The motion is more fluid. The motion yeah. is more abstract. There's a lot of nuances in the movement that you have. I see to, more improv, more improvising. Every all the all salsa is improvisation, bachata is improvisation, tango can be improvisation. Everything is improvised. The thing is the technical aspect. In bachata, for example, you have very sharp movements, very strict, very defined. When you can okay, raise your hand and then do this and then do that. Of course, there is more nuanced movement, but the the ratio of non-nuance versus nuanced movement is is towards the non-nuanced. It's very straightforward. In Zook. So Zook, Zook is from Brazil, right? Yes. Zook who taught you how to dance? Like, who taught were me? Were you a dancer before you started with Chata Rosa? Yeah. Or did you teach yourself? Yeah, I did. I came with uh, with some knowledge, so I didn't come like empty-handed. I started. From Israel, or? yeah, from Israel. I started dancing in 2013. So, is, are dancing communities popular in Israel? It's one of the best in the world. I, was, I, I didn't know that, but I have another really good friend. Um, I met her through LIU, but she didn't go there. But she is like, she's huge into dancing. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you two to meet. She lives there. And uh, I don't know what city she lives in Israel, but she lives there. But um, 
I didn't know dancing was so popular there. Israel, like there's something about Israel and I'm the big, I can, I, I, I don't like people crapping about this country without knowing it, but Israel likes to take something and crank up the notch, like to the extreme, like, okay, we, there is something nice. Okay. Let's, let's make, let's dial up the notch to from 10 to like 20. Let's break the notch and then create. What do you mean? What I mean is Israel is not the native country for bachata. Right. Yeah. It comes from the Dominican Republic and central bachata, which is kind of a derivative from that, uh, it comes from mostly Spain. So the predominant country would be Spain. And because the neighboring countries are in, have an easier access, you would imagine that those countries would be next in line in a sense of level of dancing. But for some reason, that Israel loves dancing and love being with people because there's something very, even though Israel kind of tried to imitate America with many things, something that will, I, I hope that now it changes this community. People are very good with each other. Even there is like some divisiveness right now with the political age and all this bullshit that goes on. At the end of the day, I do believe that people are here for each other and help, help each other and support each other. And there can be like set aside differences and be like, hey, what's up, bro? Like, how's it going? Let's have coffee. Like, that's what I see. And when they got like the bug of bachata, people just loved it. Like salsa was good. I'm sure they were. I, I don't know exactly how the salsa scene was before I joined the dancing, but the bachata scene just exploded. It went from two couples, three couples to a special se a separate room to having its own, like starting its own festival here and having uh, numerous world champions in just few years. So wait, you, you were there to see this happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know the people. learned about it after it happened. I know the people. They're my friends. The people who are like, who are people who are top instructors, performers, dancers are people I grew up with in the scene. We kind of, we, some started after us so, and others just started with me. So we are in the same class, you can see. So were, they, were you guys like doing a different style of dancing before that and you were like good and you're like, yo, this bachata is crazy? I or didn't do anything. Like out of the blue. You're like, yo, let's just start dancing bachata. So I started with salsa uh, or casino because it's Cuban salsa. That's what people refer to it. And I went into bachata because I saw a demo and I was like, in the in the, I was in a mindset of I want to get out of my comfort zone as much as possible. And that demo made me feel pretty uncomfortable. So I was I was okay. What's the most popular style of music in Israel, or is there one? I don't think so uh, because the the. It, Depends on where you look on the radio. I guess they'll play the most, the latest uh, pop songs. But I feel it's all over the place. You have uh, Oriental style uh, music. You have rock music. You have Latin music. There's a huge Latin music, like reggaeton uh, crowd here in Israel. That's interesting. Dude, like this country is, is fire. Like it's a warm country. That's cool, man. Yeah. I know your food scene is like amazing. 
you should try and come and eat the food here, bro. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it's something else. Like I, I felt the difference even in the ingredients when I was in the, in the states versus. You know here. what I was just thinking about? You know that chef who passed away, but um, Anthony Bourdain. Oh yeah. I I now want to watch his No Reservations uh, Israel. I want to see if he had that. I didn't watch his show. I wonder if he'll if he'll do that too. I I don't know if they're. I think the only big chef that ever came to Israel was uh, Jimmy, big chef, a famous chef, uh, Jimmy Oliver. I think, uh, I think the famous one, what's his name? Shouting, idiot, sandwich, idiot sandwich. The one that curses all the time. Wow, I'm blanking out so bad. It's all good. Blonde chef. He's always cursing. What's his name? Everyone knows him. He's he's like he's the notorious mean chef. Google it real quick. What's his show? Iron Chef or Master Chef? I don't know if he was there. Yeah, Meanest chef on TV. That's mean chef. Yeah, that's the first thing. Gordon Ramsay. Holy shit! How did I forget yeah, that? Media chef on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay. So I don't know if he was here, but you know that Israel just now got a first Michelin star and the first time an Israeli what, was... a restaurant just got their first Michelin ever? I think in so. Israel? No, not in Israel. I think it's not an Israeli restaurant. I think it's around the, like somewhere in Europe, but an Israeli chef. Israel doesn't is not part of Michelin. It's not part of what? The Michelin Guide. Why not? Politics. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of yeah, ignorance. Wow. You guys are always in some politics. There's a lot of ignorance out there uh, when it comes to, to this country. There's you a lot of- You guys have a lot of um, issues in surrounding countries, let's put it that way. Dude, those issues only exist in the media. <laughs> Seriously? Really? Dude, I could in the in the normal days you could travel to well you can't travel to Lebanon and Syria. That let's let's say that. But if you travel, yeah. you can travel to Jordan and you can travel to Egypt. What about Palestine? What do you mean? What is it? Can you travel there? What is this? There is no uh, there's no such thing. Well, like you said, the media doesn't make it seem like that. I mean, that's the because the whole thing was like the whole thing was created around the '60s. There's a whole debate whether Palestinians exist or does not exist because. Oh. So there's no like particular specific piece of land that's called Palestine. Depends who you ask. It always depends who you ask. If you ask uh, people who are pro-Palestinian, they'll say Israel has no right to exist. If you ask diehard Israelis, they say there is no such thing as a Palestinian state. Because in history, before 48, this whole land was called Palestinian. The Palestinian, uh, what is it? Palestine. A name which comes from the Roman Empire. Which was passed down like a, like a bag from one empire to another. And the last people who held this area were the British. And if you look about it, uh, if you look in history and look 40, uh, 
47 Palestinian flag will be a white and blue flag with the yellow uh, star of David. And there was think, a, um, there's a, there's so a group of people there that you know people were displaced Palestinians. People were displaced. There are Palestinian Jews that like people who were Palestinian Jews. I'm saying people were displaced by war. People were people were forced out of their houses by history. But I don't know, man. From looking at it this way, is is just. Uh, first, I don't know enough to make a. I just think that they should. Everybody should get like a piece of their own land, and everybody should get along. I know, but that like, what would you say if everyone was like when you offer, the Jews and the Arabs were offered a land nine in nineteen thirty nine, so there was the resol the UN resolution, of in uh, in uh, nineteen thirty nine when they said okay the British are leaving the mandate is gonna expire. What are we going to do? Because Jews were Jews have a historical right, and that's undisputed. No matter, like historians. They're disputing it though. No historians, historians <laughs> from all kinds of from all walks of of the the uh, the area have said that there is uh, 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 a formidable evidence that Jews were living in this area two thousand years ago. So there's no Palestinians. No. So, wait. Oh, I, I don't know. Wait. So I'm, I'm saying. Wait, wait, wait. So let's go back. Let's go back to to you said you said something interesting about uh, how land tied like everyone should have their own piece of land, and in 1939, the UN proposed uh, a division plan. Jews get this part. Arabs get some the other part and in you Jerusalem is international in the middle now you describe it as okay that's a good that's a good that's solution a yeah but Jews here's a Jewish uh Jewish thinking okay we get some land it's better than nothing one is better than zero you know even 0.5 is better than zero the Arabs said all or nothing so there always has to be somebody who has to all right, start a pop. all right <laughs> so there was there was that okay so that's that's opportunity number one and then israel took the resolution and said okay give us the land cool and then british were about to leave and israel had to declare the state when israel declared its uh independence the independence war started Imagine on this speck of land, five armies attack at the same time. You have Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, and the Arabs from within. All attack at the same time, dude. And then Israel won and got some territory. And then there's another war. Israel got more territory. And then another war. Different countries every time, some, something else. And then Israel... Israel was bigger than what it is right now because it in the 73 73rd war war they made it up to 40 kilometers from Damascus that's how how far the Israeli forces made it through and they had the uh Sinai peninsula which they gave back later as a as a peace offering <laughs> 
for Egypt. So, and this whole process, there were more than five peace treaties, like peace, like five tries to create to make peace, and they were denied, dude. So, how can people ignore that fact? Well, whoever was there back in the 1940s who, you know, was signing the contracts, you know, divvying up the lands, didn't, you know, follow through properly. Like, they shouldn't allow it to blow up into what it is today. Dude, they should have gave everybody an equal amount of land, set the rules. But that's unfortunately, a, that's not how it is today. No, things changed. Now, you cannot go back in time. And yeah, you, cannot, you cannot, like, that's it, a very childish notion of displacing current people from their current homes because that's not how shit works but i think and it's not far-fetched i think it's just pure old anti-semitism people just don't like jews and they don't like them in certain areas and they just don't want them here you know but here's something that's changing here's things how things change recently uh the arab emirates just made a peace deal with Israel. That's a big thing. And that's something that we didn't dream about. Like Israelis now allowed to fly to Dubai. If you would tell tell me that a year ago, I would say, dude, you're tripping. Yeah, I'm so, just not fully versed into the history between the relations between all the Arab countries and Israel. And it's obviously a sticky situation. That, it's a very you know, sticky situation. Decide. Neither side really wants to give any leeway, you know, from their particular viewpoint. And being somebody, you know, like me from New York City, who's on not on either team, I'm just looking at the situation. I'm like, man, this thing, like, it seems like it's never going to get resolved. Dude, it's, uh, uh, no, it will. You know something? I believe that right now there's interest groups who control the Palestinian people. They have... Um, interest to continue the conflict because the Palestinian people do not are not free they're not having a good life and that's because they're being controlled by terrorist organizations no matter how you look at it both parties are are terrorists like they have terrorist roots when the government of the opposing side the Palestinian side like they pay families of martyrs like people who uh, kill themselves because it's a privilege how can you have a dialogue like that who can you can talk to and you could see that the people at the top of their leadership have a great life right they have their houses they have their cars they have their quality of life They're, they enjoy life what, who, what do they care? And the people in the bottom, they suffer a lot. I'm not, I have nothing against Palestinian people or whatever, how they want to define themselves. I don't mind. Like, seriously, we can all live together. We have a, this is a beautiful country. Let's get along. Like you, you want to be part of this country? Great. You want to start your own country? Great. Just do it with, with decency. Do it with, you know, I think that the media like stokes the flames. Hundred you know, percent, dude. There's that's something interest. out there that that profits off of keeping different groups of people, you know, kind of going at it with each other. Of you know, course, whether it's in Israel 
in Palestine or in some countries in Africa that are going at it with each other or in some groups here in America that are going at it with each other. And then you got the media that only puts out this sensationalized version of it. And then people, you know, only getting those little clips of what's going on, you know, they have short attention spans. They only really are paying attention to that one little thing. Of course. And they don't know the whole history of the entire situation. And they're not taking a step back. They're just going off of that immediate emotional response. Not just that. They're very dishonest because people... Like or like you ask if I can go to the Palestinian uh, territory, I can't. I can't. I'm not allowed to go inside. Israelis are forbidden to go there. The opposite is not true. They're allowed to come here. They can just go through a checkpoint. I cannot go and visit their area. But why do they have those type of sanctions? Dude, I don't know. I have no idea why they, if, if there was about, like, if there was a peaceful situation, I don't know. Because they can come here. People are allowed to go inside. They work here. They, they get their, they make money here. They can go to a hospital here. Like, what is the ultimate goal? What do, what, what, what do the Israeli-Palestinian, what should an Israeli-Palestinian relationship look like? I don't know. Just like a, a regular Regular. Like, what are they fighting for? They want to be named their own thing? They want recognition for their suffering. They want to be recognized. I don't know. I have no idea. Seriously, I haven't looked in, enough into it. And there is one guest that I'm reaching out who is very prominent in this uh, in this subject that I'm really hoping he'll come on the show and I get to really ask him these questions and see why. Because he's a big advocate for Israel. And... Uh, I'm not going to say it because I don't, it, I'm not going to promise anything that it's, that has not in the books. And, uh, but I hope that speaking with that person will shed some light because there's a lot of things that I don't know about. I'm hoping to have a good relationship, whatever, if they want to start their own country, whatever, I don't mind as long as they don't well, teach. Let me, let me uh, you know, maybe come from an African-American's perspective, you know, with my ancestors going through a lot with like slavery here in America and things of that nature. From yeah. my dad's side, you know, my mom's side of the family, you know, from Jamaica, like there's obviously slavery on the Jamaican island back in, you know, the 1800s and things of that nature. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, there's a, a like a lot that, you know, my ancestors went through and... Like, even before my dad's family in South Carolina, like, I don't know where they came from. Like, I really don't know my history like that. And then my mom's side of the family is from Jamaica, but, like, where did they come from before Jamaica? Or was my family, like, from there or not? So there's, like, a lot of, like, things that you really don't know about. And I'm not saying Israel was the same type of situation, but what I am, the connection that I'm trying to make is that you have certain groups of people that maybe feel or have been marginalized. Who? Or feel like, huh? Who? The Palestinian? I said, who Who are those group of people who have been marginalized? In Palestine, I don't know how the, why the Palestinians feel that way. Maybe they feel like, you know, they were at this place that's called Israel now prior to 1943, let's just say, whatever year Israel was uh, formally formed. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward till now, 2021, maybe they feel like, you know, they're part of the pie has steadily been shrinking and they haven't gotten any type of recognition for the suffering that they've been going through. All right. So, so here's what I know. There is the movement called Zionism who started 
at the beginning, at the end of the the 19th century, early 20th, by this guy named Herzl. So the whole point of Zionism is to have a, a Jewish home in the world, have a state for the Jews to call home. Why there is a why there is the historic right? It comes from the Bible, Old Testament, same Bible as we have. Describes the tales of the Israeli Israelites, Israeli uh, Jewish nation, the establishment of the Jewish nation and its demise as well. So, and it says that there were Jews here living two thousand years ago. Now back again to the 20th century a guy decides that it's a it's time for the jews to go home because they were persecuted not just in europe also in russia there were pogroms like people were going through their homes like raiding their houses raiding the businesses everything jews were hated throughout history the people didn't like them and then he decides okay let's find a home so also there was a place uganda the 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 state of uganda in africa there was that option but it didn't take it because it there is no relation to israel the jews to that place so okay this israel was decided and then slowly step by step people there were waves of uh people who coming to live here now if you look back there's not many towns there's not many cities at that time in israel there are some cities but not as many. So the country is mostly unpopulated. There are Arabic families who live here, but the people who are living here, where they came from, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, the countries from around. Now, imagine it's like you said, like an economy. When you have something, there's FOMO, right? When people start investing, People around is like, oh my God, people are investing. Let's get a piece of the pie. Otherwise, we have nothing left. And then FOMO kicks in. And then Arabic starts to understand. If the Jews come here, they'll take the land because the British are leaving. We have an opportunity to get this land too. Now conflict arises. Jews just want a piece of the piece of land to call home. Right? War will world world war happen. The Mufti, the guy, the leader of the Arabs. He's a fan of Hitler. He supports the Nazi movement his, just by from history. Yeah, Jews did. I'm not saying Jews didn't do bad shit. Okay? Jews didn't blow up and kill people whether underground military and all this stuff. I'm not justifying any of it, but that's part of that's history. That's how shit happened and they defended themselves and tried to establish something. Now, and so I kind of lost a little bit of the track of the train of thought, like your original question, but I'm saying that this, this place is just what we want to call it home, man. Like we yeah. don't, we don't want conflict. We don't want any part of it. So like, like I was saying before, you have, and you kind of alluded it to, you have these people, these different groups, some people call them terrorists. They go by different names you know, the different people, but they're there to kind of, again, stoke those fires of, you know, that division between people. Sure. And they see, they see some people trying to get some success and they go and try to take a piece of the pie right. and try to get their own thing. 
dude, if you check the media, the Israeli media, like you said there is a group who has been marginalized. Palestinians are untouched. Do you understand? Untouched. People say Israelis are doing an apartheid. That's the biggest bullshit you can find. Because Arabs who live in Israel gets the same right. They can ride the same bus. They can ride the same train. They can go to the same hospital, get the same education, go to be doctor, go to be a lawyer. And they say we're slaughtering Palestinians, which is the biggest BS. Now, here's here's something that people don't mention, and that's right now just surfaced on the news, is UNRWA. There is like a, a division of the UN that uh, to help impoverished countries. I don't know exactly what what the role is, but they released they released uh, educational material. All right, the Palestinians and educational system teaches to kill Jews, and you can check me for that. Their television shows, they had television shows that uh, that glorify suicide. Huh? Present day? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, they have edu they How teach do they feel that what are they going through that makes them want to create that? I don't know, dude. Their leadership decides that it's okay to keep the conflict. So let's teach people to hate. That's a big like North Korea. It's kind of like North Korea, it sounds like it's a biggest difference if you look at Israel. That's some people don't dive there, people that don't dive into the, the, the conflict and really kind of look it up and the, on a, I'm not saying go deep into history, right? Just on the surface level, which country does what? Look what Israel is doing. Israel is focused on creating. Why you, you asked why are they so big in tech? Because they're focused on creation, of striving, of building, of innovating. Let me just say this, based off of my personal relationships, and from what I've seen, like I just said, with the whole Silicon Valley and Israel yeah. thing going on, not only that, but through people that I've met, like you, and through the Icon organization, like people I've met who like were straight up from Israel, and I'm traveling in other countries with them, like they were some of the most genuine and like fun-loving people. Like they were like kind of like the party people. I'm like, wait, these people are from Israel. When I'm thinking of like Israel, I'm like thinking of the Orthodox Jewish people that are here in Brooklyn. And I'm thinking like the whole country of Israel is kind of like that. Mm. But now I'm meeting like real Israeli people like you and these other Israeli kids that I know in South Korea who are like, you know, partying and traveling, like doing their own thing. I'm like, yo, this is not the Israel that I think of. And um, it's sad that, you know, the part of Israel that you know and the part that I personally experienced isn't really the type of Israel that a lot of people get to know. But I, you know, hope that, you know, these types of things, like the culture that how it really is in Israel, you know, people like us in our age group really get to experience that type of thing because it's so hard for somebody to travel to Israel or somebody like you to travel to New York or to Miami or something like that. Like you're for, you were fortunate to be able to come to New York and spend a few months or years yeah. uh, to go to school. And when you were there, maybe it was like stressful things going on and you were like, ah, you know, but I'm sure you look back on it now and you're like, yo, that was a really cool experience. So, um, you know, I think 
it's very important for you know young people to actually go to the different countries and experience them firsthand. Exactly. Like I remember my sister was listening to some podcast and they were like doing a poll. Basically, they were saying like, "What country will you not go to?" It was like, "Are you writing off of your list to visit?" And like most of the people are like putting China on the list, and I'm like, "Damn, I've been to China twice, uh, South Korea twice, and." the real quote unquote Chinese people that I know who are like from China, like love America. They're really nice down to earth people. Then they're some of the most genuine people that you know. Like I don't understand like where this uh, altercation or like quote unquote beef comes from. And I think it's, I know where it comes from. It stems from like the governments. Our governments are, you know, doing their own thing, you know, whatever power struggles they're having with each other. Yeah. And that's put down onto the general population who is not, you know, in that in any way, shape, or form. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, we don't yeah. have any say into that type of stuff that's going on. No. We, we're just living our lives, you know, trying to make our make a bang of, make a buck, you know, get a house. And 99, 99% of the people are like that. You got that know, 1%. I know, <laughs> that's, you know, That's the always, that's, mo I would say, not always, but that's, I if you look around, that's that's usually usually the case that the min the loud minority is the one that sticks out is the one wow. that the one that that sets the tone in a set in in a way because the people in the middle they're like I don't have have better things to do than deal with that kind of thing I just want to live my life be better for my kids and my family and my people around me and just they don't have any you know there's the people who have nothing to lose. You know, or like they, they just have a completely different agenda. They either have nothing to lose or nothing they're just to so do. stuck in their own ways or crazy. Yeah. Like I, those I, really wealthy people. The people who are open minded have will have a better time living in this world. I I really personally I, I hope to travel and see the world but for myself. And that's why I'm so big on connection. That's why I would love to create dance places all around the world to bring people together because there's nothing like i mean we're hanging out right now we're talking on zoom which is great i'm loving seeing you and i love talking to you but it's not the same if we would sit right now and have a cold beer in our hands and just talk about it it feels different and and because of this crazy time people get to realize how how priceless this human connection is and that's my future you know people who invest in cryptocurrency that's where i'm going to invest that's where i see the biggest return on investment later the biggest the biggest thing because that's where connection is going to happen that's when people are going to get to know each other that's where barriers going to fall that's where there's a lot you can fix, in my opinion, with dance. There's a lot you can you can make better. You can make better understanding on intimacy, better understanding of connection and, and listening and, and patience, better understanding of intragenderal, like gender relationship. And subtle body language. Yeah, I'm saying that's part of listening, part of like our being with people, being in social society. Also, same gender relations, uh, 
security, by physical security, like when you have people who take care of each other, who dance and understand their their physics, how they lead, they won't likely, they won't, they less like, I feel like they less likely to harm each other. When they're all in the same community and you teach people intimacy and sexuality and, and body language and, and how to be connected to your own emotions and thoughts and actions, you will reduce the chances for sexual assaults and bullying in the community. It's because it's a meritocracy. You know, you can get better at dancing. When you can get better at dancing, you can provide a better experience to someone else. Make them feel better. You can get better in this. So no matter how much, how are you in this, your private life, right? You'll come to a dance scene, you can be a totally different person. But most more often than not, the person you are off the scene, off the floor, and on the floor reflects. They go hand in hand. So if you're an asshole off the floor, you're more like, most likely to be sort of an asshole on the floor. So by but by, by become having a good society, good community, creating a good community that empowers each other, that helps to push those values up, you can create a better society, a safer society. And that's that's where I'm striving. That's where my goal is. I don't know. I'm not I and then I I'm like I hope to have around me to to be a a good person, a good enough person to have around me people who are good in finances that can help me, or good at food that can help me, or good at other things that we can kind of help each other. Because yeah. I not I as a person, you can do everything by yourself, but it's hard. You don't have this much. And even if it's hard, even if it was easy, you wouldn't want to do it by yourself. Why would you want to like, exactly. travel or do any of these things by yourself? It's not just about you. It's about everybody. You know, you don't want to just be the only rich guy in the world. You want everybody to be rich so everybody can be there. It's like, are you going to have a party by yourself or do you want a thousand of your best friends at the party and everybody just has a great time? I mean, even if you're the only rich person in the world, how do you address, how do you do that? If you're like hoarding all your money to yourself and then no one has any then you're just going to be lonely versus if you're going to take this money and invest it and create something, great parties or great events or something that brings people together, then your wealth has meaning, you know? And that's that's the beauty of it. That's when you're investing in people. That's what, That's my biggest goal, like my top goal in life is to invest in people, to have enough capital I don't know. I don't like to see people who want to do great shit and tell, okay, how much do you need? You need the 10 tell me million dollars to what? What are you going to do? What's your drive? Why you address it? Like, what are you doing? And then give them the money to develop some new technology or a new drug or whatever, something that benefits everyone. My vision would be to put people in a position from a young age where they reach freshman year of college and they're already in a position where they don't even need to ask somebody for a million dollars to invest in it because they're already in a financial position to do it for themselves. Imagine if we were, our parents and our teachers were already creating investment portfolios from us from first grade. I mean, that'd be crazy. But then you, it's a very economic based society though. No? What, what do you mean? Like, war, if you 
or if your life revolves around portfolio, like you start start portfolio very very soon, you start with this investment life very soon. It's something that you have to be very hands on about. To well, not necessarily. You can just put in, say, they put twenty uh, dollars in every single week for the student. And you just keep accumulating and amassing this position. And when you reach 12th grade, based off of how much you have, you can actually use this to pay for college. If you already got a scholarship, you can continue to amass this particular currency into college. And now when you graduate college, maybe you have $100,000 worth of this currency that you know you can use to pay off your uh, tuition or you can use to help you start a business or buy some real estate or travel. Well, that's uh, that would be cool. Imagine like how you have like some funds locked until you're eighteen, and then you start start your life, dude. That's uh, that's a crazy idea. Like if if you I manage to, I call it the school coin. So how do you get students to be more engaged and participate, especially now with social distancing and a bunch of schools on lockdown? Students don't even want to turn on their camera. You know, they may be at home with their brothers and sisters who are acting crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of different things that are preventing students from participating. So my thought. Why don't we actually pay the students? You know, we're going to school to eventually get a job, to get paid, to support our family, to buy things. Why not start paying them to get good grades on tests, to hand in homework, to participate in class, to help their fellow classmates get better grades on tests, all these types of things. And again, you have a certain lock-up lock period, so you are uh, continually uh, accumulating this school coin up until graduation. Um, but you also have a certain amount that we actually can allocate to you on a maybe weekly or monthly basis. So say you've done good in class, now you can maybe buy a video game from our partner, which is Target or Amazon. Um, but the main goal is to amass this school coin. So once you graduate from high school, you can either pay for your college or if you get a scholarship, you can continue to amass that school coin. And now once you graduate, you have a little nest egg that you can utilize. That's a very tricky system, I feel. Why? Because I'm saying why? Because it reminds me a little bit of China. Yeah. How? Because their their credit score is based on their their social how they treat how but they wouldn't lose any credit for getting bad grades. Yeah, but then you have to educate the kids to invest in the in some kids. Why I'm saying this? Because I have a friend. You might you might met him, Scott from Texas. Who is also who also were uh, an active uh, in LAU in the LAU financial part in the sense of uh, innovation. He is a, he's a more of an entrepreneur, so he also took part in some things. But he told me about an instance how he and a friend kind of amassed all the coin in their class as a part of an experiment. So you're gonna create a microcosm of of uh stocks in the, your well, school the thing is okay so with the school coin there's two different avenues one is you put in a weekly amounts into the stock market and you're just generating by the time you reach college you have a little stock portfolio already okay that's that but separately is the school coin so you're saying that you're going to create a microcosm of certain students that have way more school coin than others yeah okay so basically each semester, which is, let's just say, every three or four months, the students all get the same amount of school coins. So we'll all get like uh, 100 school coin at the beginning of the semester. Okay. You get a certain amount of school coin for A, B, C, or D, even an F gets a certain amount of school coins. So even if you fail the test, 
you still get a certain amount of school points. You're just not going to get as many as the A. Okay. You get a certain amount to hand in your homework. Everybody gets the same amount of hand in homework. You get a certain amount if you're like a tutor. So if I suck at physics and you're the best at physics and you're teaching me because you're doing that, you know, at the end of the month, based off of how many hours you tutored me, you'll get a school coin bonus. Yeah. So we'll put in, we'll put rules in so there couldn't be like a huge discrepancy. The only way one student can have way more school coin than somebody else is if they actually put in the effort to really, you know, get extra school coin. And if that's the case, that student deserves that because they put in so much extra. I effort. mean, but how do you stop kids from spending their school coin? Well, again, we I would base this off of uh, cryptocurrencies and the way that the cryptocurrencies work are with something called a smart contract. And when you develop this smart contract in the beginning, you put in all the rules, kind of like you're creating a, a code, some type of program or something like that. It's literally a contract in computer language. And, um, you know, we have those rules in place to prevent that stuff from happening. So. Yeah. You know, I'm just telling you the basics of the idea. I'm not fleshing the whole thing out for you. <laughs> I haven't done that yet anyway. But um, that's a good point. I agree with you completely. And that's something we would have to consider. But again, I think that the, the situation that we're trying to solve is a lot more important than we're having to worry about one student being able to spend it or my biggest, too much of it. My biggest thing is how do you make, make sure that the school coin does not become the center of their of their uh experience and how do you and how would you incentivize social gatherings and social events and how would you why would they go well, to I'm those thinking things? of um you know i ride horses and stuff like that so i also wanted to incorporate my equestrian program into it so i would partner with barns that are local to the schools that are utilizing this school coin so the students actually have an opportunity to go and get hands-on experience working with horses. And then, um, you know, they learn how to ride. They continue to get good grades in the school. In school. Um, you know, they're building up this school coin. And they actually, I was thinking maybe we can partner with different universities. And based off of the grades that they're getting, if they get good grades, they can get scholarships to these schools. Let's just use Long Island LIU, for example. We have an equestrian program there. So now the students have been learning how to ride. They know how to work with horses and all those different types of stuff. They've been getting good grades. LIU is going to give them a scholarship to go to LIU. They can ride on the... Oh, no. Continue to do that, get, you know, a college degree. Now they have all these school coins that they didn't even have to spend. And mm -hmm. they can, you know, cash that in because the school coin now has market value. I'm saying by my... Let's... let's I'll step back a little. How do you make sure they have to... They can experience a good environment not based just on coin because every if everything is tied to a coin why would they volunteer why would they do something that is not tied to the school coin you know everything yeah, will be i agree but why did kids do any of that stuff before what do you mean why would you volunteer on a weekends because Even it's a good a thing point. to do because it's something that helps someone else because you invest of yourself. That's to, the same reason why they're going to do it with school when there's school coin. But no, but then why would you, if you have school coin, right? You have an opportunity to gain, to get more coin to improve well, your school chance. School coin is not everything. It's like you, you can get a great 
score on an SAT, but just having an SAT doesn't make have you a well-rounded application. There's a million students applying to get into How Harvard. do you, and that's, that's a bad, that's a bigger, that's what I'm trying to kind of get down. How do you make yeah, sure? You know, we, we all, we both apply to college. You know, <laughs> it's not just your grades that get you into college. You have to be a well-rounded student. Mostly. Let's you say, know, students, I'll be honest. Kids, looking to stand out. And really, you know, stand out from the other all the kids who have school point are still going to volunteer. Dude, I think I think personally, when it comes to to school, the whole system needs to change because it that system is broken. Because I feel like people just um, using the same abuse it. Ah, huh? you think they would abuse the system? I feel people real that system was grand, like just. It's outdated in the sense that... Wait, the entire school system? The entire school system. The entire school system that based on grades and homework and this kind of thing. you're talking about changing like the foundations of freaking society. No, that's already changed in some countries. It's just that other people don't give... So what what is your vision of a perfect school system? A perfect school system is where you're able to learn the basic of everything and most importantly to become the have re, get the foundation of becoming a decent human being so in a sense that homework and learning is important you learn you get to experience a lot of things so you get to experience agriculture you get to understand math not because it's just taught separately from history, but you can incorporate math and history. So maybe you didn't understand math class in math, but you understand it through something else. You understand, dude, the amount of, just I'll tell you, the amount of of, of knowledge you can get from breaking down a rap song, it's incredible. Seriously, just take a, take a Eminem song. I'm just, I've been... On all over it for the last like week because he released an album just a month ago and I'm a big fan. So the way that people dissect his 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 uh, his lyrics is incredible. You learn a lot of things from that, and that's not something you you tackle in school. Not because because people don't pay attention to it and people are too f- stuck in this. In the system, and there, I feel that they don't have the courage to step up and change, because people, people are, if the teacher, and it's a, it's like with doctors, how much time doctors get to spend with a patient? Not a lot, because a lot, of, most of the time, they have to file reports and then deal with other things that are not necessarily related to the care of the of their patient, and then multiply it. Right? Because now they have five, fifth, 20 patients. Let's say in a bad school, you have 40 patients, like you have 40 students. And now you cannot, the teachers don't have enough resources to deal with all the 40 kids because they have to pay attention to each and every one of them. Each and every one of them has a different way of learning. Each and every one of them has a different attention span. Each and every one of them has a different, a little bit of a different language. Now, you you bottleneck those teachers with homework and paperwork and exams and prepare them for the SATs and prepare them for those standardized tests and other standardized tests. How are they going to do their job? 
they need the time and the place to be a teacher, to teach, to move knowledge forward to the other kids. You're a teacher, man. Dude, I'm saying like, like people really need to to break down those those things, those those, those shackles, that, that and and then we can start talking about, and then you can have kids learning about financial finances better, how to become a better, stable, how to incorporate finances into their life. When when you phrase it like the way you just did, I kind of think of paying students as an incentive kind of like just putting a band-aid on the problem yeah it creates a it whole a new problem. problem i agree with you it's a big problem but it's a very it's a problem that needs to be solved and talked about dude and dude. i don't think like people in our parents age group are really taking it as seriously as it we needs need to, be. to do that because they're already their time not to say like they're old timers their time is past, but they have their own molded brain their brain yeah. has already took shape their thought took shape, their ideas took shape. It's not that old dogs can nor, cannot cannot learn new tricks, but we cannot look up to other people when you and I are already like in our thir- almost 30s. We're in that unique position, like our age group, where we're still close enough where we remember that experience and we're still young enough where we have time to make a radical change and be there to kind of see it through those beginning uh, stages and see if it like, actually works. Because like... You know, I, I, we've been through college recently in grade school and like, we know how it is to not really be excited about specific classes yeah. because maybe we just didn't learn the right way to go about it. And through those many years of not learning the proper way to learn something, it made us less excited about that particular subject. Maybe we could have been great at it if we had learned, learned it in a different type of way, or maybe we actually really do like that subject. But again, we didn't learn the right way or we didn't have the professors who were patient enough to teach us the proper ways kind of like physics and what is i was talking about before like i would love to you know do research into the fundamental workings of the universe and like the big bang and like what happened before the big bang and how these ancient civilizations were able to get that type of knowledge to build pyramids that we can't replicate today but you know it's intimidating and it takes a lot of time to become proficient at doing something like that. And it's like, okay, do you focus on trying to be financially successful so you can support yourself and a family? You focus on, you know, building, you know, phenomenal relationships and not really worry about the financial aspect of it. But what if you, you could learn all time? what if you could learn everything and have all be all rounded person? So you all learn right. how to you learn about ancient civilizations and history, and you learn how to capitalize that. How so to... I, I, you know, education has been compartmentalized. Yes. So the doc, the dentist is the dentist. The the physicist is the physicist. The the pilot is the pilot. And pe- when people see people who are interested in all these different things, they're kind of like the jack of all trades. You're like, oh, this guy's not focused. What is he doing? Like, you know, they they kind of like frown upon you. They shame you. They make you make you try to seem like you're doing the wrong thing but why should you only be interested in one thing there's so many things cool things in the world why not try to do you know a lot of different things and i've actually had that experience in the past less 10 to 13 years 2007 was my first year of college um i graduated at from liu in 2019 so i've been to four different colleges i've worked at a few different jobs in those 13 years from apple 
stockbroker. I worked at an insurance company. I worked at a university. I worked at an airport. So I've done a lot of different things that now, now looking back on it, like things that I was very interested in, I've traveled to Brazil, Sweden, uh, you know, South Korea, and all these things, you know, I they they added to my added to me in my personality and my view of the world. You know, meeting people from all over the world, like you in Israel, we're having a conversation, you know, and we're all the way around the world from each other, literally. Yeah. You know, and going to those four different colleges gave me the experiences to be able to know people like you. If I had just finished at Syracuse and just did that one thing, you know, maybe I would have known somebody like you, maybe I wouldn't have. But the fact is now, based on that experience, my horizons have been broadened tremendously. And I now realize I can focus on, you know, different things and I can be proficient on all those different things. But, um, you know, you just, I think that our educational system has to be improved and it seems like you agree upon that. And, you know, I've just been trying to brainstorm on ways that I can help, like, you know, local communities here in New York and ways that we can uh, scale that to different communities, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. Like, what I want to do is create a new ecosystem outside of the Instagrams and the Facebooks where people like you and me, entrepreneurs, ambitious individuals, you know, creatives, fun people in different parts around the world can link up with each other, not just digitally, but eventually also in person physically. So it could kind of be like a modern day pen pal where we're building uh, business relations and we're trying to create entrepreneurial endeavors. And then we can expand that to real life relationships once the groundwork has been laid in a digital type of way because obviously everything nowadays is kind of going digital. I feel like it's the that digital aspect into your business. You're kind of missing out. I feel what you're saying is right, but let's flip the script. Let's take all those potential people who has that Nick for business, who can contribute something, who can, who have a great idea, who have some kind of upbringing, who have some sort of knowledge, some sort of proficiency and just cram them together in one space and let it work and then shake it you know it's like what you when you do like sometimes when you take a chicken and you make a, a hot wings in the oven you put it in a bag of spices and you shake it so everything will get covered so kind of like that you put them all together you create the human connection and from that it's like it's like a chemical reaction you know you don't know what's going to bounce off what And then you're going to put them in a different situations, right? Like a team building certain. How do you get them all together in today's day and age? That's difficult. What do you mean? You're making it seem like you want to bring everybody together physically. Yeah. Okay. I agree. That'd be great. So here's how you do it. You're in Israel. I'm in New York, France, Brazil, India, and South Korea. Everyone who gives a shit about something like that, right? You partner, you pitch it, create an idea, like a summit. Let's say money is not an issue. And well, that's, okay, that's well, that's great, but money is an issue. Wait, let's let's assume money is not an issue, right? Let's assume money is not an issue. Because people want to get rid of their money before tax, and that's not a secret. That's why people donate. That's why people give to charity and people do something good with their money. They want to So why not to give it to someone who wants to do good with their money? So You create a summit when you invite those people from all around the world, 
when you can choose those people from all around the world and bring them to one location, put them through some certain situations, team building stuff, right? And, but like not just team building, but also fun and leisure and stuff like that. So they would enjoy the experience. But it has to be people who are driven. And you know how you do it? You tell them you pay for your shit. And whoever is serious enough will pay for their shit. But what they don't know is whenever it comes to your thing, will get some paid off. And that's how you kind of filter those people. If someone cares enough to come and meet with different new people from all around the world and bounce their idea and make shit happen and make their leave their footprint and the soil, they deserve to be there and you pay for them. You don't pay for those who just want to come for a cool chill weekend with celebrities and like and important people to lecture you and have imagine you would bring people and like you you open the summit only 50 people show up and those 50 people get to spend time with gary v and important other entrepreneurs and they get to learn about art and they get to learn a little bit about physics and they get to talk I to neil I, I like the idea, but I think you're going to limit a lot of people who may want to attend, but for various reasons can't. So I think that, again, I would want to start it as a digital ecosystem while encouraging the physical, physical connection between people. Because, like, say I'm here with my family. I can't leave New York. Yeah. You know? But let's say it's post-COVID. But post -COVID. I want to do business with you in Israel. Post-COVID. Post-COVID. But then how do you, it's, it's, you know, what, why I don't try, don't really buy it hundred percent is because the same reason I don't do digital, uh, online, I don't do online dating. It's two dimensional. It's, well, it's, 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 um, you can't compare dating because you need the physical aspect of dating. And you need physical aspect of, of, uh, partnership because you know, dude, I can build I can build a business relationship more thoroughly digitally than I can build a romantic relationship. I think that building a digital partner, like a building a business partnership is way more intimate than a romantic partnership. <laughs> For real. Because you really know, know you need to I, know I, I how, you really need to know who you get in bed with. And not just physical. <laughs> because no pun intended. No pun intended, dude. I'm all about the puns, but that was not one of them. So <laughs> because you you really have to be able to both relationship both way things are very important, right? It's you cannot create a relationship based not that you can't. Let me rephrase that. You can create a relationship based on online presence, but it won't be as fulfilling and as powerful as meeting the person or spending time with the person. Okay. I agree with you. But let me just say this. Are you going to not do it, meet somebody digitally just because you feel like you're not going to be able to form as strong as a relationship? Why not initiate the relationship digitally? Try to find the people that you have common interests with, build that fundamental initial relationship. And if you guys are able to come to some type of common understanding or better relationship based off of that conversation you have digitally initially, then take it to the next level of the physical meeting. I'll tell you because 
there i feel like digital meeting is a sort of a smoke screen why because you know the honeymoon period when all relationships have when you like i found that person and they are amazing and you miss all the red flags so what's stopping you from what's stopping it from happening in the digital phase you know it also there is some things you you don't pick up on a person unless you see them respond to the world around them when you and i speak like that i don't see like if we unite to start a business i don't see how you treat other people i don't see how you treat your surroundings i haven't been to your house i haven't been to see you around your friends i don't know what kind of person you are you know i can't invite your friends to zoom and like see you hang out with them it's not the same there's many aspects at least for me that i look to establish an image of someone because i've been burned so and i've been through my my share of life so for me it's important to see that person in different environments to make sure that i'm not being sell sold something fake that not someone put a legitimate concern you know and then it's the same with with relationship like a romantic relationship the same with business partner i hold them on the same pedestal Mm-hmm. and because you the reason rosa worked for me is because the my partner i was as much as we didn't get along for shit at the beginning we were like i could hug all the different dancers in this night like i would say bye give them a hug and like and, and embrace them with him we were just high five dude and that's it like we didn't know each other and we started a business and then and now we're like brothers even though we're not speaking as often but i still regard him as my brother because and i was low i could i could trust him i could he he was there for me and vice versa so our relationship well, you build up that trust you know you knew him in person but you, i was there i saw him. him i saw him with people I saw him operate. I saw how he treats other people. I met him once in Israel. I couldn't figure out who that kind of guy, what kind of guy he is. And then I started working with him and I decided, okay, let's get into it. The good thing is we both entered with no money. So there was nothing at stake. It was a risk-free in a sense. It fails, it fails. You know, I don't, I don't lose a dime. So for me, it was it was a great experience. I got an amazing experience for for free. So yeah, no, I I agree with everything that you're saying. You know, having those subtle subtleties that you get with you know interacting with people in person, you can't replicate that over the internet. I my my biggest people. like point for you, you know, in today's need with uh, lockdowns and social distancing and people not really being able to interact with each other. You know, people don't want to get close to each other like that. I don't know how it is in Israel, no, but here in New York, it's definitely not like it was in 2019. So, oh, yeah. you know, in the meantime, I'm looking to see how I can build some type of business and connect with people that I, so the people that I would connect with. So I have another business idea that was, okay, I told you about the school coin and I've told you about like this international type of network that I'm looking to build to connect entrepreneurs and things like that. But you know, I was thinking about like Facebook in the beginning. Yeah. You know, how did Facebook become so big? The only way you could join it is if you were a college student and you had an email linked to one of these different types of universities. And, you know, you would 
your friends would be on there and now you're talking to your friends off this digital platform, which is Facebook. And now look at it, it's huge. So, you know, I'm part of this organization called ICON, International Consulting Network through LIU. Mm-hmm. And we have partners at universities all over the world. There's literally probably over 200 people who's been in the organization up until this point. So all the people who are in here, I know, are, you know, ambitious, entrepreneurial, you know, college-educated people from different countries who are doing cool, unique types of things. So why not uh, start the platform based off of that type of premise where we're inviting students with college email addresses who are, you know, doing something like that. So we already know, okay, we're dealing with a group of people who, you know, are in college or doing something like that. And use utilize a platform, start with my icon network, add all these consultants and see if we can add more type of consulting groups at these different colleges and then expand from there. I think first you have LinkedIn. Yeah, but I think that's more like trying to get a job. LinkedIn is more than just trying to get a job. You can connect with different people. And I just started, I I was, I put communication infrastructure in my job description. And I, I, someone reached out to me from a company from China who sells this, uh, the equipment. And we kind of got to talk a little bit. Nothing happened out of it, but it just happened. I feel, I feel. I feel like there's not like business per se being done on a local level what do you mean like you cannot gather people to know the business around them no that's not what i'm saying i just feel like there's a large group of the populace that may not utilize linkedin in a business sense per se and there's an opportunity to develop a new type of platform that can gain access to underserved markets maybe I don't know the it's a it's a very tricky question if you want to create a new platform how you different yourself from other platforms that offer similar services and then why what's the incentive you know it's uh or how would you become a proficient in that platform and help other people become proficient in that platform it's like being blockbuster versus netflix why would i use netflix and blockbuster oh that's a total different different that's a different conversation that's what, it's a, because it's a question of technology right now because uh maybe in early days of blockbuster or netflix when netflix was just a rental service but now it's a totally blockbuster as as a relic at this point because they they didn't adopt they didn't adopt to the new environment and netflix jumped on the internet ship and uh, made millions I think that the overarching theme of like a lot of the points we've had is that, you know, things are changing and you have to adapt. And, um, you know, that physical connection between people is very important. And there's different ways to establish that physical connection. It's not just one type of way, but that's instrumental, um, you know, in going forward and creating the type of world that I think everybody wants to see. I know. I feel, I, I feel we'll never reach a hundred percent digital life. And I think we shouldn't. Because, I don't want 100% digital. I mean, look, we, we grow up when we felt the, the both worlds, the no internet world and no, uh, when you had to play with kids outside to, to have some company. And now what people get for company is likes on TikTok and just sharing their videos. 
dude, bullying in my school was over after school was over. Now here, now bullying is uh, 24-7. <laughs> you know, I think you need both, bro. Because if we look back <laughs> you need at like, bullying both? you know, the early 20th century, you know, times are definitely more difficult in a different type of way. And technological improvements have made lives easier for a lot of people. 100%. So I think, that, I, you know, obviously there's definitely been a lot of positives for the technical improvements that we've been having. But I think that a lot of people don't want it to go too far. And it's like coming to the point now where it's like accelerating and it's saturating a lot of corners of people's lives where they don't necessarily want it to. Dude, we're, we're as a, I feel like as a civilization, we're a teenager. And we just discussed the internet is the worst thing that you can give a teenager. <laughs> you know, we still don't know the full, the full depth of, of internet. It's well, you can see all the hacks that are happening. I it always blows my mind when I read these articles about companies and the freaking governments getting hacked. It's like these dudes just run around itching us like a wild, wild west. Like, how do you even know how to do this stuff? It gets well. It's easier. It's it's more difficult than it used to be, where you could just like. Bro, it seems like it's easier. These guys are making attacks on like central banks now, Dude, and they're getting away with it. Dude, there is a crazy story how people were able to extract a mil billion dollars from not from not from Singapore. There's a crazy YouTube video how it explains about a heist happening because of a malfunctioning printer. Crazy story how people exploited that thing. It's but like that's that. but that's that's in everywhere. That's everywhere. Hacking is more than just computer systems you can hack body about a body if you know the algorithm that the body runs on you can find what do you mean a body they can't hack me not you but what do you mean everyone can is hackable in a sense of psychologically <laughs> dude we all it's when you have a system it has weaknesses no system is perfect and when you find that weakness you can exploit it it technically makes you a hacker if you know so that like, you're vending yeah, machine, you exploit something, you're hacking it, dude. If you're if you're uh, your vending machine, you know that you if you press five times five in a row, it will drop all the gum there. <laughs> then you're a hacker because you're you're. Oh. Or, Are you telling me you're a hacker? Is that what you're telling me right now? Everyone can be a hacker. It just depends on the system you're trying to to to. Break. There's different levels of hacking. Hundred percent, but. I'm like to the point of the like technology. I feel like we're just starting. I feel like we're just at the at the birth of the technological uh, exploration because we our imagination uh, far is far full or far in front of what are, we're capable of doing, and there's things that we haven't even imagined yet. So. Well, I can only imagine what that's going to be. <laughs> Dude, that would be crazy. But like, I feel the foundation would be human relations. If I feel always the foundation would be human connection to everything. It ha and I was just reading something today. And Elon Musk has another startup company. They developed some AI. It's like GT3 or something like that. It's like open source AI, the name of the company. But basically, they said in the article... The only difference between, wait, 
artificial intelligence can't, it doesn't have consciousness. Like they, they don't know like when to cry and stuff like that. And that's like the major difference between humans and like the most cutting edge AI. Yeah. It's that consciousness that we have. And based off of like what's cutting edge right now, that AI is not, is not capable of experiencing that same emotion. type of consciousness that humans have. They can't experience emotion. They cannot. They cannot. So I don't know. Maybe like one put together a sentence, but like they don't have that emotion, like loving music, like that feeling. They don't understand what this hap what happy is. They don't understand what sad is or what And that's a completely different level of intelligence. That's emotional intelligence. When uh, when the machine would be able to to reach that level, then let's. <laughs> and that's kind of like what you were saying with that physical interaction with people. You don't get that emotional um, experience through the computer. I mean, we can to a certain level, we're, like we're having this conversation, but there's so much that we're missing. Oh, hundred percent, dude, hundred percent. And that's something we, uh, I hope, we'll be able to retain for for so long. For a while, like until I don't know, we find aliens, and then <laughs> even when you read people, yeah, other man. people's man, brains, and it'll be with Neuralink, he'll be. Crazy. Would you get that? Would you get the Neuralink implant? Let's see how old will I be. <laughs> I don't know if I want to get like a. I like my my brain empty. <laughs> in the sense that I have enough stuff in my brain already. I mean, in the sense that I, people hear, like, I like my brain empty, but I'm an idiot. I sort of, I am, but I like, I like my brain to myself. I don't want, I don't want any other people kind of like. You want Siri in your brain? That That's just like too much, you know? <laughs> I feel. But imagine like how smart you would be. Like imagine the people who do get it versus you. Of course, they're going to be smart. It is going to be like destroying you in any type of competition. If you have a dude, but then, then, then you're fucked. <laughs> you know. Why? Because imagine you have a virus. How would you deal with that? How would you deal with a virus who corrupts your if memories? Got a virus? Huh? You said a neural link got a virus? Dude, imagine there you have a virus that corrupts your memories. Well, then everybody who got neural link would be fucked. Have you seen the movie Kingsman? Secret Is Service. Is that like the James Bond, but the British version? It's a it's a kind of a, a nice twist to it. That's a really it. good movie. With uh, Samuel L. Jackson, when yeah. he sells when he sells free SIM cards to everyone, and then he he messes <laughs> with everyone by turning it up to violent uh, freaks. So everything is I'm telling you everything is hackable. And when you when you bring together physical and digital, and you're able to affect either or, like through one through the through the another, that's a recipe for for greatness and disaster. Because you know, look at this though. Well, I agree. That's, that's a recipe for both. But you know, Internet of Things, IoT is like a big buzzword. I know. And you know, they're putting it into a lot of small devices like your thermostat the smart fridge, your smart TV, and the, they're, the hackers are out there freaking making huge computers. They're putting a huge network of refrigerators together to make it a freaking supercomputer. I know. And and imagine yeah. what happens when you don't have internet. What happens? It's, it's, yeah. When you become so reliant on artificial technology, 
artificial intelligence, some of your intelligence goes extinct. But that happens at every level. I'm watching a show right now on Netflix called uh, Bridgerton. And it's like um, the British royals back in like the late 1800s. That's the time period setting. And the brother and sister go downstairs middle of the night to get a glass of quote unquote warm milk. So they're trying to warm up their cold milk and the stove is there and it looks like a freaking like antique. Yeah. And neither of them know how to turn it on. You know, so that in each time period, there are certain technologies that are out there that people, because they don't use it, maybe they don't know how to use it. And, um, you know, for better or worse, it's an advantage or a detriment. Like, you know, if something happens to them, they don't know how to use a stove, they don't know how to use fire and cook, they're not going to be able to feed themselves or they're going to have a difficult time with it. You know, fast forward to 2021, if you don't know how to code computers and do that, you know, build websites and stuff like that, it's going to be more difficult for you to be successful in a digital age. I mean, we're not there yet that not knowing to code is a detrimental to your success because you're not, you don't need to code your own car or you don't need to code your own camera or whatever to code no, your, you don't need like to a, a college age student and you're looking to get a, a, a competitive job at like a technology. Company. I feel like we got things backward also with the jobs market because you don't need to like, how, let me form this thought kind of properly. If you want, I don't, competitive job. Well, if you go into a competitive, if you aim to be a great coder, then yeah, you need to code. I think jobs are medicine, law, tech. Great, but then you remove the aspect of your what you like to do and what you make sure. Well, you like to do one of those three things. But what if you don't like to do one of those three things? Yeah, I think that. Um, what do you? What if you don't? It's it's a, it's the same. What happened to to? It's the what is it? Financial stability that people look for what does not exist. It's a it's a smokescreen that. Our parents' gener parents' generation faced it very well. When they grew up, they said, oh, go do that. It will provide you financial stability. But in this day and age, there is no such thing as financial stability for real because every, every market can crash. And let's say tomorrow there is an EMP. There's a solar flare who shuts down the network and messes up electric devices. Coding community was shit. Because oh, everybody would be well, no. Why? Because if you you can still irrigate the the fields, you can still grow food, you can still treat people, you can still build shit. You're not relying on code. You can still deliver products. You can still yeah, bro, bro, the electrical grid would be shut down. It'd be very bad for everybody. It will be very bad, but you you're not reliant on code to make things work okay, you just made the craziest like let's okay, say solar flare let's EMP say let's happen. say let's say internet shut like you don't what i'm saying is coding is not detrimental yet it's not that you have to learn how to code for your life you know 
What I'm saying is realistically, if you want to get a job in technology that has the most high pay, cutting edge thing, you're going to have to get into some type of engineering or development, whether yeah. it's computer engineering for sure, um, or some type of other engineering, you're going to have to do that type of thing. Unless you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, if you want to get those jobs that pay you $200,000 or more. And again, we'll look at the, it's all about the value that you provide. If you'll be able to position yourself to a place when your value worth X amount of money, then. That's the difference though. You have to develop that value. One way, you know, is to go and get those degrees, engineering, doctor, lawyer, whatever. Or the other way is to, you know, provide services that, you know, allow you to make that type of money, but you have to become proficient in something. Exactly. But it doesn't mean that you have to learn those things that everyone goes for. How often are there, you know, let's just musicians like is it rare for musicians to make annual you know two hundred thousand dollars is it i don't know i don't know how many musicians make two hundred thousand dollars yeah i don't know man it's just a weird situation the whole like job world and like people because there's like obviously right now a lot of people that don't have jobs and we really need to rethink jobs there most people don't get paid over a hundred thousand dollars like that Two hundred thousand dollars. You're like in a real like upper echelon. But then, but then let's let's talk about the value of money and the value of life. If you make yourself enjoy life to the fullest with less, then you don't need a lot of money, right? That's a good point. So when you learn to not be be a, a sucker for consumerism. When you learn not to fall for those traps of buying shit that you don't need on Black Friday or Cyber Monday or all those spending holidays, when you don't learn pursue the biggest house, because who needs five bathrooms in five different corners and a Segway to go around all of them? And you don't need five cars. Like, it's great to have a collection, but do you really drive... All of them. I'm saying, let's talk. Let's talk about like. Let Let's talk about like from a, a, a honest standpoint. You don't need a lot of things to make you happy. Let's be honest. You don't need that. The the the. Why are we being fed by society, by big companies that want to sell us those things is different. By I don't know by. People say you need to earn this much money to be happy, but how much work do you need to put into earning this much money? And then so I think it's one thing to you know want a lot of things versus wanting quality things. And we both know quality is expensive as well. But then ask yourself, and then you need to ask yourself, do I need those quality things? In the sense that you don't have to buy. You don't have to buy the most expensive watch, right? You can buy a simple watch without the same work. But let's say you get you get the ability to buy a Rolex, then maybe it's worth as, a, as an investment. You know, if it's being produced, say you're a master watchmaker or you're a master artist, why yeah. should somebody have to get the one that's 20% of your work just because they don't have the money to buy the top of the line thing 
But then there are some people out there who are billionaires who can't afford your work. And then those billionaires are telling the other people like, hey, you guys should be happy with that little that you have. You don't need the high quality one because you can get 90% of the value off of that. Dude, the same, they both show the same time. They do. But so should you lower your prices to the cheap one? No, I'm saying if you believe it's in a, in a capitalistic society, if you believe your watch worth $100,000 and someone willing to pay that price, good for you. But if some people will, will not be able to afford it, then you should understand that you price yourself in a different league. The way I look at it, like we're, the world has all of these resources. The reason why, the reason why Rolex is worth a Rolex is because Casio is manufactured by a robot and Rolex by a person. And we put a higher value for a a handmade craft than a mass produced object. No, that's correct. I think that, listen, Things in the world are too expensive. I think like this is like just out there crazy, but like imagine like I don't know how the world would be like if things were like way less expensive and people didn't have to worry about money as much as they do. Like that's people like, will enjoy what life more. would that be? People will enjoy life more. Oh yeah, obviously. And but then, that's just not the way it is. Like how would you that's that's, that's a one society, sentence like a socialist society or that's something? one sentence that I really hate. Like, that's just not the way it is. I mean, if you have a problem and you want to solve it, you need to find a solution. Otherwise, it's not a problem. Bro, if you could solve that problem right there, you'd be the, uh, but that's, most at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's how much influence, not how much influence, the value that you provide. If you can provide value to a lot of people, right? And people understand the value and they believe it and they live it amazing if you can create a system where money is not an issue right when everyone can become a rocket scientist when everyone works together to create to solve a problem to benefit everyone not just for themselves but for everyone and they get their reward that they need. I'm not saying everyone should live in a kumbaya, like, oh, I'm happy, I'm helped. Like, you don't need to thank me. Just give me a bouquet of flowers and I'll go on my way. No. We already live in a system that relies on on a third-party value to to thrive because not everyone needs a, a metal worker or need a pottery, you know? But we understand that there is something better there out there i'm not i don't know what's the perfect solution because we're at the end we are people we're not robots and we rely on emotions and we, we work on we sometimes we are rational but what if we can get as best as we can to that kind of society where you can live in a nice house in a nice place house of your own not worry about your next meal you don't have to eat the craziest shit out there and have a lavish lifestyle all the time. If you do want to, you need to understand that you work very hard. You're going to work very hard to live that life. But you don't have to. It's great. But if you are able to live with people who are secure and who they are. 
and not what they have. That be defined by who they are and not by their surroundings. Then it's a different kind of society. Then you can. You're not. You're not. You don't have to worry about consumerism. You don't have to worry about unfairness. You don't have to worry about all those things because people are confident in who they are and what they deserve and what they need to survive and what they need to live. And they're more enjoying life and they don't mind the bullshit of other things. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a... Uh... That's utopia right there, it sounds like. I mean, it's close. Utopia does not exist because people are devious and people are mean and they like to kill and they like to steal and they like to do all this shit because it's, it's we're also kind of sort of animals in a sense. Yeah. We like we like the the excitement of and the thrill. We like fights. We like violence. The way that I look at it, realistic, like, you know, we've been talking about stuff like what we envision would be the best way to go about it and what we want to be done. I think that, you know, it may sound simple and heard it before, but it's like do to others what you want done to yourself, literally. That's a basic rule, I think, the decency. Be a decent, like, who yeah. said that? Great. Uh, Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries said it very well. He said the Bible should be a one-page book. And on the one page, there would be one sentence. Don't be a cunt. <laughs> yeah, That's... man. You know, we all just tried to help out each other a little bit more. And we all did that. You know, consciously went throughout our days. Like, how can I help somebody? You know, that will just, like, take us to the next level. I think a lot more than other things. 100%. When you would... Uh, who, who said... That's Gary V said the best. When you build your... When you, if you build your tower, like your tower, by not destroying anyone else, it's the best thing. If you build to, well, to this, if you're destroying other people's towers to make yours bigger, you're an asshole. But yeah. what if you build your own tower while letting, uh, telling other people how to build their, their tower? When you figure out how to grow, when you got this, you should, why not to share this wealth? The way I look at it, it's like we're in a storm and you're the lighthouse, you know, and everybody else are ships and they're out in the ocean and the waves and they don't know how to get to shore. But you want to be that beacon, that light that helps guide people back to shore safely. You know, you know, you're a person who has a certain level of awareness in terms of like, you know, how you think society should be and people should be equal and things like that. And you know, we can come into interactions with people on day-to-day -day situations who may not believe the same type of thing or view in a different type of way. So you should be that, like, again, lighthouse or that upstanding beacon or that example to people of, you know, how things could be better. Or like this conversation we're having, you know, maybe some of these things I may not have heard before or you explained to me in a different type of way. So you have, you're being that lighthouse and anchoring in that type of vision of the future that you see could be beneficial for everybody. And when you have these conversations with people, it's like you're kind of guiding them to a, a brighter future or, you know, a, a more stable future or a future that's better for the group. I mean, it requires open-mindedness. It requires the ability not to be... Uh, held by not to be locked by an ideology not to be 
just be able to deconstruct everything, anything and everything, and look about it in as much as objectively as possible. Because nothing is set in stone. Everything changes. Everything shifts and forms. And, every, and whenever you stuck on something, when you're, you're like, like Blockbuster and Netflix. Blockbuster? Yeah. So when you're stuck on something, just because you're afraid to change, just because then you're going to lose. Then you're going to stay behind. But if you're what able, did Bruce Lee say, be water, my friend. Yes, you have to be water. <laughs> you have to be able to to adapt to the situations and not the the power. The your strength has to come from within. Like you need to rely on yourself. That's and cliche, man. Ah, huh? that's cliche. What do you mean cliche? Strength. You need to be able to. <laughs> rely on yourself you know what i'm saying like to rely on your strengths and weaknesses and i think your audio is a little low maybe because i'm far from the microphone so i'm That's saying better. you need to i don't think i don't think you need but hopefully for as well like from what the way i see people rely on their strength it's like you said i'll use your ship analogy it doesn't matter how rough the sea is, no matter how how crazy the environment, if you're if you're sailing through fog or through calm waters or whatever, if you know your ship is built well and your sails are strong and your mast is and your mast is good and you have a good anchor and everything is solid, then you can tackle harder situations then you are not dependent on anything and you know that you have a good vessel that will take you wherever you need. And if you face face adversity, you'll know how to modify your ship to make through that adversity. You know, that's, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. everyone should have a strong ship. Yeah. Should. you gotta have a strong ship the foundation is important but being aware of your ship and whether or not it's sound or not is also important a lot of people don't even know if their ship is sound like how is your mast how is the anchor you exactly. know you know how to drive the ship you know right now like our bodies uh, you know based off of yoga and like different those types of teachings it's like our bodies are lamborghinis we're in high performance vehicles and, you know, we're putting 87 octane into it with what we eat, what we drink, you know, what we listen to. And we don't even know we're in a Lamborghini. We don't know we need 100 octane fuel. So, you know, you've heard before, we only use maybe 5 or 15% of our brain power. That's a, by the way, that's a myth. We're able to really utilize our full potential. That's you a know? myth. So it's about being aware of the shit the vehicle oh 100 you know that's the first step the awareness because through media our education system and what we've been taught unfortunately our parents went through the same type of indoctrination they're not even aware of the type of vehicle that they're in or the environment that they're in so, maybe they're not aware or, of how to really control the vehicle you know so sometimes people are just on autopilot they're yeah. just going with the flow and this global pandemic kind of took a lot of people out of autopilot 100 but you know how you how you I, how do you get to get into the state of awareness? How? You ask a question. That's simple. <laughs> That's simple. I agree. 
It's that simple. It all starts. No, well. no, not ask a question. Ask the right question. Exactly. You need to ask yourself the right questions to get to the place that you want to get. Well, you need to ask a lot of questions to get to the right question. Not just that. Asking questions is one thing. Can you face the answer? If you're asking, let's say you ask, am I a good member of society, right? You don't know how to, what's the, the answer to that? You need to ask the people around you. Am I providing any, bringing any value to your life? And if people say, no, you're most likely a yark. You're yeah, a but it depends on who you ask as well. But I'm saying like, let's say there was an anonymous way to, to, to get the information and you got the information that you're pretty much an asshole. Not saying you are, but I'm saying, and you living, I may be a nice guy, but but if you're you're living your life thinking you're the shit, right? And then you have to answer, ask yourself, and then how do you know if you're an asshole, if the people around you, how many people were willing to do something that is not related to money or fun? How people are really like are willing to listen to how your day was? Well, let me say this. My house is on the corner property. Um, apartment buildings across the street. There's always every single day garbage outside on the sidewalk. And yeah. I go out there every day to pick up garbage. And I watch people come in and out of the apartment building across the street. Their lawn, their garden out there is garbage all over the place. Are those people assholes? I don't know. Based off of, you know, maybe the if, that they if, walk by every day, the dog shit on the sidewalk, it could be perceived by somebody like me who cleans up the sidewalk every day. Maybe they don't assholes. care because it's not in their awareness that cleanliness is is imperative to good health or imperative for... But on the other hand, maybe they're, they're probably not assholes. Like I Probably not. Probably but just not aware. It always depends how do you... How do you and then you don't depends how you frame your mind and how do you what scope you're looking at people like and then that's what i'm like for at the end of the day the only person you should look at is you right you you don't need to judge other people as much as possible even though it's very easy and um just like do your thing and hopefully other people will follow that's why I say be the lighthouse, you know, build yourself in that strong foundation. Yeah. And be that light of what you consider to be a good example. And you know that there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the outside world. There's always something else that we hear about to maybe take you off off of keel. Yeah. But you know, you you have to be that person with the strong foundation. Because there's other people out there who are going to be easily rocked with the emotions of everything that they hear or they see, and they could crash into that rock or, you know, they're going to sink. So, you know, like you said, you have to focus on yourself and make sure you're at the place where you want to be before you can help anybody else. 100%. And otherwise, uh, if you're like, you have to, you have to be strong enough to weather the storm. And then when you pass that storm, you... I don't say it's your duty, but it would be great if you help other people with and weather the storm and tell them, okay, guys, look, there's a storm up ahead. You radio them and say, yo, listen, there's a storm coming. Uh, You should uh, close the hatches and uh, prepare and uh, get this, this and that ready. 
whether they listen to you or not, it's their fault. It's their responsibility. But you did your part. You said, look, there's a storm. Whoever it's listen- like you bring the horse to the water, but you can't force it to drink. 100%. It's not really your responsibility at the end of the day. You can, uh, you know that there is a, there's a saying in the States and the, in English, those who can, uh, what is it, how does it go? Those who can do work and how those who can't work teach. <laughs> I don't know that one. You know, no? Nah. Those who can do and those who can't teach. And I think it should be the other way around. I think that those who know how to do and should teach. Don't. It's like those who know don't, those who don't do. Like they, they like at the end of the day, they say like uh, the PE teacher is the is the worst guy because he doesn't know how to teach. And I think it should be the other way around. It should put people who know how to do to teach. So it's kind of again like the the loud people who are the ones who may not be the ones who you should listen to, and it's the ones who are quiet and more reserved who are usually the ones who are more knowledgeable. Look, now scientists are rock stars because they're leading the the front of all the things that happening. But what happens is the assholes who are loud hijacking the conversation and uh, pivoting the science and manipulating the word of science. Yeah, man. But yo, bro, I got to get out of here. Yo, yeah. let me just finish this with the same thing I finish always. And that's like a quick uh, rapid fire kind of questionnaire that I uh, saw on the show uh, and uh, that will conclude our conversation, bro. I really had fun, but that's in a second. So let's get on with it. What's your favorite word? My favorite word? Yeah. Uh, tremendous. Nice. What's your least favorite word? No. What turns you on? A great smile. What turns you off? A bad attitude. Well, uh, what sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise do I like? Yeah. Uh, a nice sounding uh, a race car engine. <laughs> so you're not <laughs> liking a Tesla, right? Ferrari. <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate? Police sirens. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you be willing to try? Uh, a porn star. <laughs> <laughs> what What profession would you not like to try? Uh, ooh, I like to try a lot of things, man. A uh, garbage man. You wouldn't like to try? Nah, I'll leave that to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and last question. If heaven exists, what would you like God say to you when you reach the pearly gates? Welcome. I'm glad to see you. Hey, brother. Thank you so much. That would have been like the longest podcast I've ever done, but I enjoyed every second of it. I didn't feel... Why oh, so quick, bro? Yeah, I didn't feel a second of like the time passes and I enjoyed catching up with you. And that was like yeah. for real... One of the best conversations I had in the last time, like the last few months, in a sense of like a heart to heart conversation, because the podcasts are kind of interviewee 
uh, sense, but that was a real genuine conversation. Yeah. And I really I enjoyed too, it. Man. Thank you so much, Muro. Take care yeah. of yourself and yeah. uh, stay in touch. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Until See you next guys. time. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, I had a very great time. And I'll see you in the next episode.